Hello everyone and welcome to my first episode of the Game Art Talk podcast. In today's episode my guest is David Ferreira who is a character artist sent three years for Elite 3D in Valencia. I will be talking with him about his career, how to deal with criticism as a junior and how to stay motivated as a game artist in general. I will put his portfolio link and email into the info box so feel free to check him out. So without further ado, let's hop right into the talk. Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Game Art Talk. My first guest today is David Ferreira, who is 31 and a 3D character artist at Elite 3D. Hello, David. Hey, man. How's it going? Uh, perfectly. So I'm pretty glad I have you here for my first talk. And maybe you can talk something about yourself. Maybe introduce yourself. What are you currently doing? Yeah, keep going. So I, uh, I'm David. I'm, I'm, I'm from Portugal. I'm 31. Um, I started in this industry, the video game industry, three years ago, probably. Uh, almost like, yeah, three years ago at Elite 3D. Uh, before that, I was working in the board game industry. I was modeling miniatures, and um, I was I worked in Dubai for half a year in animation studio. Uh, but my passion was always video games, so I, I went for video games all the way. Um, so at the moment, I'm working at Elite 3D. I worked uh, in two Call of Duties, uh, World War II and Infinity Warfare. Uh, I worked in a lot of uh, board game titles, Star Wars, Doom, Descent. Yeah, you you can all find them on your portfolio. Yeah, you can I find think. them on ArtStation, so it's easy uh, for people to see. And people can ask me anything about uh, uh, the work I've done in the past. So, yeah. So you have been in the industry for three years now. So you started at 28 at uh, Elite 3D, right? Uh, yeah, pro yeah, yeah. That's one that thing I always, I always hear. Some people get so stuck in a life or not really happy with their career. Want to get into games because they play games. They're interested in games. It's, it's a pretty interesting topic to be honest. And yeah. So what did you do before you get in the industry? Um. So when I was like 19, I, I was a little bit. You finished lost school, in, right? Yeah, I finished school. I, I never lost a no year idea. in, in, in my life. My, my. my my parents are teachers, so oh, <laughs> if, I, I, yeah. if I lose a, a year of my life in school, they would kill me, right? Um, <laughs> so, like in Portugal, there's always there wasn't always this uh, gaming industry or cinema industry. You know, it's, I think it's, they have it's, nothing, right? They, yeah, they, they don't have any industry. If, if they have, it's super little, and no one super knows indie. about. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no one knows about. And everything thinks it's like a Hollywood thing, you know. You have to go to LA or Hollywood, and you know, to America to work those in big those countries. places. Yeah. Yes. And and so I decided to to go for engineering because my father wanted me to be an engineer, and because it's it's a better job than being whatever, right? And yeah. uh, I was studying engineering. I studied one year of physics engineering, and then you I studied, studied right in Lisbon, right? Yes, I studied. I did everything in Lisbon. I uh, I never left Portugal um, to work or to study. Okay. Uh, so I studied one year of physics and then two years of environmental engineering, and I just decided, like, look, this isn't for me. <laughs> I'm not going to be engineer for my whole life. So, and in the meantime, I was I was working as um, like I work in stores. You know, I worked at kids parties. I I was a magician at kids parties. Oh most yeah, people, yeah. You, you most people don't know before. this. Uh, I, I always try to keep it as a secret. I, I'm proud of it, but I, only people who know me very closely know that I'm into magic. Um, so but, you just work jobs to get money and yeah. Uh, yeah, and study at the same time to, and like to keep trying to yeah, trying to discover like what I'm gonna do with my life, right? So 
Yeah, and it's, it's a hard process, uh, especially yes. in Germany as well. After school, you have no idea what to do with your life. It's exactly. I can tell the young guys out there: take your time, just take one, two years, and really figure out what to do. I had the same in my life, and yeah, uh, I only can uh, only can yeah give you this advice, guys. And one of the reasons, like I, I decided to go for for video game industry and or any other industry, I was I was listening to podcasts of other people. And yeah, uh, those people give gave me a lot of courage in terms of they were like, for example, Chris Costa. I think he started when he was 30. He was a banker for many years. So I was like, whoa, if this guy can do it, like he works at the top. Uh, this is so top, funny. Right? This is so funny. Um, yeah. And I'm like, look, if this guy does it, I mean, I probably have a chance to, right? So I I just went all in. Like, okay, let's let's start studying this. And um, and I started studying in Portugal. There was like um. A degree in digital animation so I decided to go for it and I studied three years I, I have a degree in animation but in the meantime I was like mm, maybe my passion is games right so but like 3d is, is always co-related to cinema and video games and publicity and etc right but I was always more into games I love cinema but games are I love I don't know why but I love low polys <laughs> I really like low polys like the illusion of something that has a lot of detail and has like nothing no super yeah, little that's, that's kind of the magic is which yes. is done in games that I, I i like to work in the limited uh i don't know why because uh, like you have so much limited poly count and so much little uh, limited uh, texture size and you have to make the best out of it and it's so rewarding i don't know why i like it when i i have like i i love it when i make a normal map or aim into occlusion and just put it in, in the low poly and I'm like Whoa. this is so satisfying. Look, yeah, it looks like it looks like the high poly and it, yeah. it's nothing nothing it's alike, nothing. you know. Yeah. And I love that 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 feeling, that sensation. So <laughs> that's why I prefer um uh, low, low poly and yeah, not, poly. not 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 getting into film because they they don't have this limitation of polys, uh, right? Yeah, I mean like movie movie industry was never my thing. Uh, but I love movies so much more than games. Actually, it's weird because I love yeah I love more movies than games. But I work for games uh, and not for for movies. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's weird, but but it's I it's it's the way it is. <laughs> so <laughs> so how did you become a character artist? Every time I hear about something about getting into character stuff, and everybody says please don't get into character artists. It's so hard. It, the competition is so amazing and. It's really hard to land a job in the industry. So maybe you can tell me something about that. Uh, well, like the first thing I think is like um, everyone says that the same thing for every profession. Oh, I want to be an actor. Oh, but it's so saturated. You know, it's this and that. And every model, every new actor comes every year. You know what I mean? New talent yeah. appears in Hollywood. Same with other professions. It's everything is competitive. It's saturated. And the rule for me, it's just, it's just do it, you know, just just go for it. If you really want it, just start it. And of course, like being an unemployed artist, it's a very demanding job, you know, because you have to learn software, you have to take time to get better, you have to practice every day, you have to work hard, um, you have to have a good portfolio to start in the, in a company that you want to work for, uh, etc. It, it it takes time. I'm I'm three years in the industry and I still have so much to learn, you know what I mean? Like yeah. so much to to show or to deliver, um, and and well, yeah. To be honest, I think... three years in the industry is nothing. 
I, yeah, exactly, exactly. It's I'm really just, nothing. I'm just, uh, uh, yeah, I, I agree. I have so much to learn. I would say, like, if in 10 years I'm not as good as I think I would be in 10 years, then something is wrong with me, you know? Yeah, <laughs> you have to get this mindset to always push uh, yourself, yes. always get yes. better, always try new things and new stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the first thing is, like, don't be afraid of... If you want to be a character artist, don't be afraid. It's like most people like, oh, it's so competitive, I give up. And I'm like, okay, well, yeah. <laughs> it's your loss. Because... Lost. Exactly. Yeah. It's like you, you, can, you can have the, um, the defeated mindset, you know. If you yeah. have a defeated mindset, you won't do anything in your life, right? So, I mean, I just went for it. I started, started meeting new people. Uh, I started uh, connecting people on Facebook, talk to them. So, Some... this is also so important, guys. Yeah, I, can yeah, I can give yes, you this advice. Yes. Network. Network yes. is... Half of the half of the game is network, and it's it's like network and like friends. You know what I mean? Like people you can show your work and they will give honest us honest Feedback. opinions. And yeah, uh, yeah. Um, the internet is really good for that. Of course, it has the really dark sides. Some people can be very cruel, or you know. But you have to be selective in in which people you show your work. And, yeah. And some people are really good at uh, they they help me out throughout the years. Uh, when I was like. Uh, Four years ago, because I started studying six years ago. I did my degree in digital animation, and after that, after those three years, I started working in 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 the industry. So it was like it was a total of six years. But in those the first three years it was like discovering, oh, should I go to animation? Should I go to gaming? Should I go to uh, movies? What is this thing like ZBrush? What is this Maya? Okay, looks cool. You know, it was was experimenting. Yeah, uh, and now like since I'm in the industry, uh, I I try to experiment sometimes, but at the same you have time, more time, you have more of a tunnel vision to get where you uh, want. Yes, yes, like the 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 road is getting narrow and narrow, right? Like yeah. I, I I can see the end of it, and which is trying to get uh, better at character art, and and that's it. Like I my my advice is do not get discouraged, and and if you really want it, just fight for it. You know, everyone will say this, you know, yeah. <laughs> everyone will say this about everything. It, it's so typical. Uh, it's answer so typical. Now, I heard this by myself. Why you want to go into games industry? What is this? What are you doing? They they all have no idea what is going on in the industry. This is, yeah, uh, I think especially old people. Uh, yeah, old people think that games are made by 14 year olds in their basements, you know. And they all, <laughs> they, all, all they do is all they do is play and play, sit in exactly, front of, exactly. of, of the TV exactly. in dark rooms. Exactly. I, I <laughs> it's think, kind of funny. Um, everyone thinks that the gaming industry is that, and that's sad. And everything, everyone that thinks that that plays video games and works in the video in game industry, it's 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 a completely different thing to work on it and to play a game, you know? Yeah, it's completely different. It's, everyone has this mindset, oh, we're going to work in this company and it's going to be amazing and we're going to try the games, you know, we're going to model the characters, we're going to do the environment and then you go there and it's like, okay, you have this amount of days to do this character, so you're under pressure every day. And yeah, it's and the hard it, stuff. Yes, and you do doing something the DVDs, and doing yeah, the, yeah, exactly. all this, all this, this grindy stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's not all it, uh, rainbows and, and, and fairy yes, tales. Yes, like it's rewarding most of the time. I think it's it's really rewarding in terms of showing your work, what you've done for a year or two. Um, but but keep in mind that it's not rainbow rainbows and and roses and and it's you're gonna it's gonna you're just gonna do the whole all the cool thing in the game you know now it's it's a really normally games are a team effort so 
many people work on the same thing and you have to be a team player and you know uh you have to understand that things take time to to develop many things change things you cannot get attached to artwork most of the times because you just do something and you say oh i love this and then you show it to the art director or something and you go like no 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 this is not what we're going to yeah, use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You and put all like, the work oh. in and then they say, no, 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 that's not the way we want to go. And then you have exactly. to put in again extra more work to get it done. Yeah, and it, it's sometimes it's disappointing, but you have to have like a little bit of cold heart, you know, to to face these. You have um, to get a thick skin, right? Yes, yeah, thick skin. That's the word. Um, otherwise, you're just going to die inside. Like, oh, my God, all my all my ideas are dead. You know, it's it's yeah, I get <laughs> people it. have to to have to keep this in mind. You know what I mean? So, you, so. did you start it as a junior or a delete? I, I started as a junior. Yeah, I started as a junior. junior. I, I went to Infinity Warfare uh, art team and uh, I started working on 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 things for the game because I can't talk much. Uh, yeah, yeah, I get NBA. this. You can't um, talk about this stuff. Mm -hmm. Um and uh and after that I I started working in the Call of Duty World War Two, so like I I'm two years and a half in Elite, almost three in in four months five I'm gonna be three years at Elite, so it's really good I'm really really um, happy with the progress I've made throughout these years, uh but I have so much to learn so <laughs> yeah so World War Two is your last finished work you can talk yes. about right yeah yeah that's that's the, the latest yes so it was a really cool project actually oh very okay, demanding okay. very demanding so, but really cool one question how did you get in the board games industry how how, how did that come uh so, so i uh my mom at the time was like i was i was after my degree i i said to myself okay let's i'm gonna do a, a workshop with with uh those mentors online you know what i mean you yeah. know, there's, nowadays there's CGMA and all these uh, really cool schools that you can learn. But at the time I was studying, there was only CG Talk, uh, yeah. CG Society, and there was this uh, workshop from a guy that worked in Call of Duty, uh, sorry, in God of War, um, and his name was Caton Calloway. Um, okay. And he has a very um, specific character that he made for the tutorial, and uh, it's like. Um, it's like a goblin with some horns and it's like brown, not green, you know, and it's very, very common in our art station because many people did the, 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 the tutorial. Exactly. The and, and I was, uh, I was, um, I, I did the course with him to, to, to do a character myself and to learn more. And my mom was like, Oh, can you try to get a, a freelance or something? Try just, just check online and, and see how it goes. And, and, and I check online uh, a website called CG Cow, I think. I don't, I don't open that website for, for years now. Um, okay. And I saw there like a post like from Fantasy Flight Games and they were saying, uh, oh, uh, we need a sculptor. We need sculptors for, for uh, miniatures and ah, this, is, this is the pay. And um, I was like, okay, I'm going to apply. I probably they will say no, but you know, I will just try. <laughs> yeah, and you then, always should try. Yeah, exactly. And then I, I applied, and two days later they removed the, the ad, you know, like the, okay. the the job ad. And then they, I was like, oh, okay, I probably don't have the job. So, <laughs> okay. Uh, two months later, I was with my girlfriend at the time, and they sent me an art test. 
say, okay, this is this is the this is the first miniature we want you to do. It's like an art test. We're gonna pay you for this, and I I gave my blood and soul for that. You know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was like working a full month, but trying to understand like how they want things, you know, and um, he's the name that I was working, the guy where I was working with, the guy in Fantasy Five was Nicholas Norman, and is a is a really really cool guy. He he, I worked with him for for so long, I think almost three years or two years and a half with him. Um, okay. And then I started in March, and then I took one month for my first miniature, and then they they gave me a second one the next month. I took three weeks. And then one more, I took two weeks. And then it was like, I was like in this, in this, um, I, w I was getting better and better at doing the miniatures because I knew how they wanted things, the details, everything is exaggerated. Because at my first, my first uh, miniature I did for them, I was doing everything super realistic. And they were like, oh, I, you can't do this yeah. because it's not thick enough and they won't print. So you need to do with a bigger, <laughs> everything has to be bigger. So. And I was, that would be my next question. So, when you're doing these these figures, what what are you doing different in like in games? You have you, you they have to be printable, right? Uh, yes, they have to be printable. They have to be. There's like you cannot have holes. You cannot have things that are too thin or too smooth because every when you print something in plastic, everything smooths, right? So yeah. all the forms in the in the object have to be super super sharp. So. For example, I never used bevels. I always used crease. You know, the crease. Um, yeah, I know. It's it, yeah. It's like it creates super sharp and and it's 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 super good for for the for the job. You know, and, and it it was it was the best tool I can use for that. I cannot use those those tools for um for gaming. For characters, yeah. Yeah, or for characters or or, or even realistic uh, modeling because it looks the creases are they are complex. You know, they are not as easy as. Um, Adding support loops, you know, um, it's different. It's a different kind of modeling. It's simpler, of course. The forms are simpler. Uh, everything has to be bigger and exaggerated. For example, all the characters, instead of having like uh, I don't know how many teeth, but you can only have four to sixty, you know, yeah, okay. uh, in the mouth because it's so small. And when you look at it, it's like okay, uh, the details are are showable, yeah. you know. Yeah. So if you if you put like the I don't know. A big teeth or uh, sorry small teeth and like realistic when you print it's like it it's going to be, be nothing a, yeah exactly it's going to be smooth and there's nothing in the mouth you know um so yeah. i i worked for them like since march and then i started working more and more and more and uh on november sorry in september they sent me the doom uh the doom miniatures and i was mm -hmm. like whoa this is really cool and the guy sent me uh all of the miniatures they were going to do and he asked me, oh, how many you want to do from this? And I'm like, everything. <laughs> I want to do everything. <laughs> and they were like, um, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to do the following. You're going to do three of them, choose three, and do them. And if we are on time, because we have to deliver this until December, which will like September, October, November, four months approximately. And, and I was like, okay, let's do it. And I started doing it. And uh, everything was going well. I was doing like one Per, per week, you know, like five days per miniature, around that, uh, yeah. with with posing and cuts uh, most of the time. That's uh, pretty fast. Uh, yeah, I was getting better and better at that, um, and it's really cool. I, I really love the progress I made throughout the years uh, working for them, and and um, in November they called me for Dubai, and and I went for Dubai. I was still working in the miniatures and. 
and uh, and that it began. You know what I mean? The timeline, like the my first my first miniature, my first freelance to my first studio to to that. So in November I went to Dubai, and then in March I went to Elite. So it was like oh, uh, it's pretty you know fast. I mean? Yes, yeah. yes. And I, I still worked on for them for the miniatures while I was traveling and while I was um, uh, working in other studios. So it was a little bit of overwork most of the time, but I liked it. So you know. Yo, if you if you still if you love working much, then you should work much. I think. Uh, true, true, and especially in in my younger years, I'm I'm 31, but I feel young, and I think I need to develop my portfolio skills, career, etc. So I need to work more. Because yeah. I, I lost, I, I think I lost a lot of time in the past. Like, but I think I met so many people that I would say this with uh, comas with uh, sorry, um, like uh, I think everyone lost. A lot of time when they were young, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. knowing what, yeah. especially in this industry, like, I know so many people, so many people, and not not in this industry, but outside this industry too, like, they don't know what they want to do because the world it's today hard. is it's, it's hard. Yeah, world is, the is world different. today is so, so changing, so fast changing. Yes, yes. And you always have to, yeah, make yourself up what, what do you want to do with your life? It's, it's hard to know. Mm -hmm. Especially, yeah, especially when you're young and you have so many yeah. other problems growing exactly. up, having your first girlfriend and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. True, true. And okay. yeah, so maybe you can tell me something about your workflow. So let's let's say, for example, Call of Duty needs a new character. What are you doing? Uh, for Call of Duty, I probably can't talk too much about it because it's it's super confidential and you don't have to talk you don't have to talk about the Call of Duty in depth. Just okay, say okay. what 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 are you like, doing when you when you develop uh, a character? Uh, for example, like I would, can talk about for example characters I did in the past, which I think yeah. like um, most characters I did in the past in terms of game work, I yeah, think they weren't sure. uh, as as good I, as I can do now. Uh, but for example, I did Jax uh, from Mortal Kombat. I didn't finish it at the time because when I started Jax, I received the Doom miniatures. So ah, okay. yeah. I was like, okay, I have to get this job because it's Doom and it's really cool and it's paid, you know? So I didn't finish Jax. But uh, the first thing is like to get a lot of reference. I use, I use PureRef, which is a software. Uh, you can put, put a lot of photos in there, like a lot of them, and you can see them all of the t at the same time. And it's really, really good. So it's kind uh, of a it's kind of application when you're modeling or when you when you're sculpting it's just on your screen and it yes. it holds all those pictures together. Yeah, exactly. Ah, okay. exactly. It's a free software and it's really good. Everyone uses it and it's it's the best friend for your second screen. <laughs> you, everyone is, is gonna have one uh, and the second screen and that's the first thing. Like so where where are you getting the reference from? Uh, Google, Pinterest, ArtStation, like, for example, I, I, I always do this for my artwork, which is, for example, uh, Jax has, like, a torso, metallic pieces, hair, boots, pants, right? Like, the typical yeah. character. So I'm like, okay, uh, let's, okay, we have the concept art, right? Let's check the pattern, the, the folds I want from, from the pants, um, uh, the color, the, the wear and tear, like, the small details. Okay, I have everything for the pants. Same for the boots. Uh, same for the metal, uh, same for the skin, etc. And then I go for, I search for other artists' work. Like, okay, I, I think this metal looks really cool. I think I will do something similar, right? Because um, yeah. sometimes when you look at the reference and you look at the other, other people's work, like, uh, when it's super realistic, I think it doesn't, it, it doesn't look as 
as good when you have like that artistic touch that most people do, you know. Uh, they exaggerate the wear and tear or something. I like that. I, I, I tend to like that. And most people, I think, like destroyed things, you know. Um, so I get a lot of reference from other artists. And then I get references from artists that I really, really, um, uh, they, I think their work is amazing. And I, it's like my benchmark, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I tried to reach that 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 goal. That level. I think it, I mean it takes time. It took time for them to reach that level. So it will take time for me to reach that level. It's good to have that, but I don't think most of the time, especially when you're starting. And I think I'm, I'm I'm not starting, but at the moment, like I'm I'm starting to get better. You know. Yeah. Um. It's I think the result will never look as good as there, but. The next but one you always will be better. Try your best to get the yes. result on like and the it's, next one. Like it's and the next reference. one will be better, and the next one until you get like most artists, they get like um, a specific. Um, like when when you see a sculpture from some from someone, you know, oh, this guy is from this guy. You know, this sculpture is from this guy because it looks like it has the same brushes. You know, the the same yeah. texture, and uh, there's a lot of artists that have that uh, artistic um, touch. Um, most most artists, I think, they discover that from throughout the years, like doing a lot of stuff and, and trying out different stuff. Yes, and, and then they reach a certain level of oh, this is my style, you know, artistic style. Yeah. So you you kind of have to find your own uh, artistic style. You it's always some trying out stuff. What what, what you can work the best and all this stuff. It yeah. takes a lot of time, but um, especially for other artists, the best way to 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 study, like to to know how your artistic life will, will work is to look at other artists in the past, you know? And I think yeah. it's the best way to learn. So you don't get disappointed saying, oh, in one year I'm gonna be like uh, Rafael Grossetti, you know? Just like saying this and it's not gonna work like that, I think. It's not gonna work like that, uh, no. You have to, it takes time, you know, so. <laughs> So yeah, let's let's keep on going. So, um, what what is your next step? You first you first mm -hmm. find your reference and so yeah, I first find my reference next? and then I start with uh, ZBrush. I start like uh, sometimes from a sphere or from a cylinder or sometimes from a base mesh like body oh, okay. base mesh. Yeah. And um, and then after after doing that, I start sculpting like the big stuff. I never go into details, especially on like the first weeks. I don't care about details. I care about like silhouette and I care about form, right? So I care about like how how big are the tor how big is the torso how how wide are the shoulders how is the the jaw the face you know um, I, I I most of the time I work with the with the low subdivisions you know yeah. uh, how thick are the legs how tall is this guy is the is he tall like are the hands big or you know um, those are, are the, the the big details and then I start like with marvelous I do the clothing. Um, uh, for Mar for Jax, I didn't do it because at the time I wasn't really good at Marvelous. But now I actually redid the pants, but I didn't post it online, and and um, and so I I did the I normally do the things in Marvelous, uh, especially clothing, of course. And then I go to ZBrush to detail, etc. Uh, for example, straps um, and uh, some small stuff. I do it in Maya uh, because. ZBrush is really cool, cool to sculpt, but when you have you want some details to really good look good, um, I think you have to do it in Maya with clean topology. It's like, for example, you're into guns, right? And if yeah. you do a gun in ZBrush, most of the time the details, if you look really close, they were gonna look sloppy. You know, they look like yeah. clay, and they yeah. don't look like metal. And you want them to look like like really good metal. 
Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, for example, for the arms, uh, I I I did a sketch in ZBrush, and then I go to Maya and cleaned it up and go back to ZBrush and, so and it's, work from. It's those two programs are uh, most for your workflow. You kind of uh, export yeah. to ZBrush, import to Maya, and clean up, then back then back to ZBrush for details, okay. etc. Um, and then I go back to Maya. I I decimate it and I do the low poly. Uh, I do the low poly in Maya. I used to work with Topogan UV layout, but I decided to just use Maya. Um, there is no software which is the which is doing the UVs really, really, really great. Uh, true. I mean, the UV layout is good. I think it's better than Maya. Yeah. Uh, especially in some some tools, they are really good. Uh, I I use it at work sometimes when I want something that Maya isn't doing, I need to go there to UV layout and do it there because Maya, for example, Maya doesn't have the bleed for the texel density, you know? Yeah. Like, um, and doesn't have the rectify as good as the UV layout. So, uh, and then I go back to, to, to Maya. I, I, I've learned this with Gilberto Magno. He's a Brazilian artist and he was, using uh, Maya at the time for Retopo. And as I decided to, to I, I told myself like this, I'm going to use Maya. I'm going to try it hard and, and see how it goes. And then from then, I just started using Maya and forget about Topogan, forget about UV layout. And uh, I... You want to stay in more yes. software, right? Yeah, exactly, That's exactly. Good. And and I, I think I, I am f as fast as in Topogan or in Maya, you know? So, yeah. um and then I go to I do the bakes in X normal, but now everyone uses Marmoset three um, because yeah. you can bake it in Marmoset three. Which you is can really bake good. so so good in Marmoset. Yes. I, I try. I, I'm currently baking in Marmoset as well, and it's pretty pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. I did bake uh, in Substance Painter before, and it was not near that good. Uh, and like Substance Painter is is I, I never tried it, or maybe I tried it once and I don't even remember because it looks looks the interface is so ah. Yeah, I, I really like the, for example, X normal or Marmoset. It's like here's the high, here's the low, just do the job, <laughs> and, you know. And keep going. And, yeah. Exactly, and it's so straightforward. Uh, but um, when uh, when I do the bakes, I go to Substance Painter. Uh, I used to use Quixel at the time uh, when it was like the big thing, but now it's it's Substance. Substance won the race, Substance unfortunately. Substance won the race, yeah. Uh, and uh, I use Substance, and then for the rendering, I use Marmoset again. So it's like I try to narrow all my software, like five software, six around that. Um, uh, so yeah, Substance, Marmoset, Xnormal, and Photoshop too. Photoshop is like for the editing or editing the editing the texture, the textures, cleaning textures, cleaning normal maps, uh, AOs, etc. Uh, do, uh, clean up the renders, you know, or do something yeah. fancy on the renders. Just post uh, post processing. Exactly. For the posing, sometimes like since it's a character, um, I we use normally ZBrush. I use ZBrush and or Maya, because most of the time we don't do rig, right? We don't have time to do rigging, so you're, just like. So you're not rigging in at Elite 3D. No, no, no. So no. you're just delivering the mesh and the textures and all the exactly. stuff. Exactly. Exactly. And the oh, okay. rest is, is, is an outsource, outsource art. So we just do yeah. the art. That's all. So you just do the art and, and yeah. Mm -hmm. The rest is, is, is from them. So oh, okay. company work. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's just uh, modeling and concept art at the time at Elite. So 
there's no animators, there's no riggers, you know. I really, really like how Elite 3D is, is approaching the, the game development stuff. Uh, I think they are the biggest studio which is not producing games in general, mm -hmm. I would say. Mm -hmm. I don't know any bigger studio like Elite. Um, which, is, like, which is just delivering the 3D stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there's a lot of studios in China and that we okay. don't know of. <laughs> I, I don't even know of, but I heard of, you know what I mean? Like, uh, And it's like, for example, Elite 3D is like 120 people, I think. So yeah. it, you think it's a lot, but it's not. Like, it's not. Okay. It's not. It's not like uh, other other studios have like 1,000 people, 500 people, uh, 800. You know, uh, triple it, A it varies, yeah. yeah. Um, but in terms of outsource, like, I think it's a big one. It's starting to get a, a really big name in the industry, and I'm really happy for that because when I started Elite three years ago, it was a completely different studio. Like you don't oh. know how much it changed through. What, what changed the most? Uh, a lot of things, especially uh, in terms of um, bigger projects. Uh, the 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 office itself, we changed office to a, a completely new one. Um, nice. New, with new the, offices are always amazing. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, it was really cool to see the process of of changing from one one old office to a new one. And now everything is like uh, we have air condition, you know, because in the other one, some rooms had air conditioning, others don't. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, in Spain, it's it really, really hot. Yeah. Especially here in Valencia, which is 90% uh, summer, oh. <laughs> you know, 90% yeah. of the time is summer here. So, um, but it was really good. Like, um, and I, when, I came, when I came to Elite, we were like 60, 80 people around that. And now you're double. Here around that, like uh, 120, yeah. So a lot of people came in and a lot of cool projects um, and new website, uh, new new office. Uh, yeah, you had a whole new design yes, for your website. Yes, I, I everything, think. everything just grew super, super fast in two years. Uh, oh, it's nice to see. Yeah. It's really, really nice to see that you can and, actually make money with just outsourcing. Mm -hmm. Because and, the games are always getting bigger and you always need more stuff. And yeah, it's kind of nice to see. Uh, yeah, I hope, I hope the, the industry gets, gets better and better in terms of, of work and, and like especially the crunch things, you know, like um, we, we spoke about this before. Like, the uh, Rockstar yeah, thing, like, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think, I hope that the industry gets better in terms of, of not being a crunchy place, you know what I mean? Yeah, like uh, it's cool to work on games, but I don't think killing yourself to to do something for another person yeah. is is really good to hear. You know what I mean? Uh, but I was saying um, I was saying like I was gonna tell you a funny story how I uh, went to Elite. So yeah, sure, sure. I, I I came. I was in Dubai. Sorry, I was in Portugal. I was doing the miniatures. I remember that I started in March, right? Yeah. And I was like May, uh, June, around that time. I I did an interview for Elite. And they were going, oh, um, okay, if we need you, we're going to call you in September. And no one called me. So I was like, okay. <laughs> I, I had, I had this interview. You don't get the job. Yeah, I didn't get the job, right? 
the, the studio was growing. They needed people, but they probably got uh, Spanish people first and the foreigners, right? Um, and then I, I, I had an interview to, to Elite because I know a guy who worked at Elite. I never met him. He's, he was Portuguese. We spoke on Facebook and stuff, right? And, and he spoke about me to, to my boss. And uh, we had the interview, and I didn't, I didn't get the job. So I went to Dubai. I kept working on freelance, etc. And, um, and then uh, my boss uh, went to talk with my friend and said, oh, I'm going to talk to the Portuguese guy. And my <laughs> friend was like, oh, is it David? And he goes, uh, no, but I'm going to talk to him too. <laughs> and so, so he came <laughs> to talk to me, and, and he sent me an email and, uh, or a message on Skype, I think. And we had a second interview, and I said yes. I said like, okay, I'm going. Uh, and I I just left Dubai and I went to 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 Valencia. So, uh, did you apply to any other studios across Europe? Or? I did. I did. You did. I, you did. I applied to Guerrilla Games. Uh, oh yeah, Amsterdam. That's why I did the Killzone character for my portfolio three years ago. Oh, which just I... to show your dedication <laughs> to Guerrilla yes. Games. Yeah, it's always uh, nice to see. Uh, yeah, I mean, I did the character a long time ago, and I look at it today, and I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> I have so much to improve at the time, you know. Yeah. Uh, but it's always the same when you yeah. look at old stuff of yourself. It's like for me, I'm in the industry of 3D to say, for three years now and it's mm -hmm. when you look at stuff which i had in my portfolio two years ago it's just so ashaming but that's how you start that's how you get better um yeah yeah i mean uh, and then um i was i was doing this character and and then of course i look at it today and i'm like <laughs> it's laughable but i like it in a in a way because i think the design looks cool uh i like the, the kills on uh, designs um, and I applied to to, to Guerrilla Games, uh, but it took me a while to finish the character because I, I was finishing the character in August. When remember the year when I started freelance? Yeah. Um, I I finished it in August and I applied it and they said, oh, I'm so sorry, we actually like your your portfolio because it was a junior artist position and it was temporary, and they said. We like your stuff, but unfortunately, the position is already filled. So it was filled by another Portuguese guy, <laughs> a character <laughs> artist uh, at the time. It's kind of a Portuguese thing to get into uh, character. <laughs> uh, I guess. <laughs> I don't know many character artists in Portugal, to be honest. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's, I can count with the fingers, I guess, uh, the, the amount of character artists that exist in Portugal. Um, and yeah, uh, I, I didn't get to 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 CD project for example when I was when I was a noob like when I finished my elf yeah. uh, um, I applied to CD project but they oh. didn't give, they didn't give me the answer so <laughs> yeah uh, and it's it's and it's understandable because I was really really new but I just applied because you know you never know right yeah uh, you never know you always so, have to keep sending out those applications even if you don't have a job uh, even if you have a job if you want to get somewhere else you know mm -hmm. what i mean yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, and it's, mm -hmm. it's it's yeah always try your best and i think you have to send out like 50 applications and maybe get two or three where you where they say well unfortunately mm -hmm. you don't you didn't get the job but maybe apply to a future date or something like this mm -hmm. yeah, yeah i mean yeah you have to deal with uh, 
you have to have a thick skin for this too. Yeah. Like, for rejection. Because uh, it's going to be constant, by the way. <laughs> it's going to be everywhere. And it's sometimes it's not it's not personal. It's just about no, like... I think it's never that personal. Exactly, exactly. It's not. It's like, oh, your your work sucks or... Okay, sometimes you are not that good for the uh, for the job application, but sometimes you have to keep in mind that uh, sometimes the the they have so many applicants, you know. Like yeah. sometimes it's better for them to get someone from their own country or uh, someone with more experience, and sometimes you have to get lucky, you know. Like in terms of of applying at a certain time, and and if they need a person like you or you and know. Sometimes you just have to be a team fit. I think you have to to fit yes. to the team need the. the the overall spirit in the team. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the game industry is small, so anyone that is it's a little bit uh, not a team player, uh, people know. <laughs> because the, the, the news, they they spread fast, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, as you said before, like networking is really important. Um, and some people can, can like give you jobs in studios just because they like you, you know? They like to work with you. Yeah, and uh, that's really important. And maybe if you're not even if you're not that good in your uh, what you're doing, mm -hmm. you just can improve when working. Uh, yes, and I've seen like people improve. Uh, like for example, in Elite, of course, we have like people who comes in who juniors, right? And I've seen uh, their their development in throughout the, the the years, and it's it's just it's it's really people can really learn really fast if they yeah. want to. You know? That's the one advantage the juniors have against the seniors. They are hungry. They have they have this this motivation to get yes. better and to co always that's true. strive for the best. That's one thing for the juniors. We which which is always really really good. Mm -hmm. Which always is on their side. Mm -hmm. You also yeah. have to yeah. You also have I to agree. to behave the way to be hungry and to stay motivated and to always get better. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of juniors with a really good like motivation. Sometimes too much, even <laughs> like uh, uh, they they come with this idea that it's gonna be really cool, and sometimes it's it's not that that amazing, or their work gets rejected. You know, for example, yeah. when I started working at Elite and I, I received feedbacks, I was like super super. Um, how could I say this? Um, pissed. In a way, angry or pissed because I was arrogant to say that my work was amazing right but it wasn't right you never see it you have to you have uh, to be more self-criticized right yeah you have to be more open more uh, self-critic you have to uh, uh open to change that's really really important i learned that really fast to be honest <laughs> really really fast like well, after, i think like, the, the best way to learn the best way to learn this is to start in a studio as a junior right uh especially in the honest, arts industry yes yes, yes. yeah um i think I think I learned so much more at Elite than if I would stay at home uh, doing 3D and portfolio yeah. and stuff. Uh, yeah. You learn so much from other people. Like you don't know how much you can learn from other people. And the experience is really, really yeah, important yeah. for other jobs. Even uh, yeah. even if you don't have the education or the the best portfolio, mm -hmm. you always have some credits or some experience, uh, which is yeah. I think really important in my mm -hmm. opinion. Uh, I, I never worked yeah, in the yeah. industry before, but everybody—it's it is what everybody says who is from the industry. I agree. Like it's really important to not be a dickhead, you know. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the first rule. 
and of course, like your portfolio can be good, can be amazing. Of course, it can be bad, right? But uh, in my opinion, I prefer to have to work with uh, a good artist that is a really cool person than with an awesome artist that is just uh, horrible to work with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. horrible to and work with. And what you think? This uh, is so important. Who you're gonna work with? You uh, can't yeah. Yes, yes. Like in, uh, in toxic toxic environment, it's so consuming. Even if the just, work is amazing, yeah. yes. Even like sometimes you don't even want to work because it's just ah these people, you know, or uh, this person, uh, just just annoying or you know, it, it really depends. Uh, yeah. But I, as I said before, like I, I like to work with people who are cool. They can do the job. They are like not super superstars, you know. I don't like superstar mentality. Um, yeah, I, I think it's super same, arrogant. Same. Yeah. yeah, I think it's super arrogant and. It doesn't fit uh, fit a team work. Remember, it's like a, th a teamwork uh, in the in the, in the gaming industry. So, uh, yeah. Everybody's helping the other and just giving exactly. and, and getting. Everyone has the same final goal, right? Yeah, getting uh, the job done and making amazing yes. games. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the that's the the motto. That's the 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 theme of the the gaming industry. Do your job. Work as a team, and we you can all, deliver you a finished work product. to one goal. Yes, yes. So, what are you? What are you playing? Are you? Are you? Are there any games you are playing, or are uh, you just making games? Uh, when I used to, uh, I when I used to play games like years ago, I used to play World of Warcraft, Counter Strike. Like the, I was the classics. I, yeah, the classics. Uh, when I was young, I never changed games that much, right? I, I, I just grab a game and I just play it. I, I played for years, right? And okay. for, for, for example, my younger brother, he is the complete opposite. He gets a game, he plays it. After a week, he's playing a new a new one. After a week, he's playing another one, you know? And it's it's <laughs> <laughs> it's different for me. So I used to play like World of Warcraft, Warcraft 3. Um, I've been to shooters, strategy, uh, RPGs. Um, I always like every kind of game, to be honest, like uh, even football. I'm not a football guy, but I can play a football game on PlayStation or something, uh, which I do now. Uh, at do you have a PlayStation? Uh, my, my, my housemate has one, and we sometimes play. I have one in the studio and when we work, and sometimes we play some, some football or, or racing game. You know, I can play any game. I like board games even, so uh, we're talking about the video game industry, so... I used to play those games when I was younger. Then I started like Hearthstone, Heroes of the Storm, Dota. Oh, yeah, yeah, know. yeah. Uh, for example, in terms of MOBAs, I I always always into Dota or Heroes of the Storm. Uh, Hearthstone was my thing. I I tried to get the best of Europe, and I did it. I I the second season of Hearthstone, I I reached the 33 top like. Yo. Uh, 36, I think. 36. <laughs> oh, that's, that's uh, amazing. Yeah, but. It, but it was like, yeah, I had to play every day for like two hours, you know, or more. And yeah, train, start get to, better, and yes, turn yes. the cards. Uh, yeah, and and it was very, very draining. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna stop. <laughs> what, what? Uh, I'm. I always had had this this thing with me, which is when I start to see something that it's affecting my life, I just cut it, right? Especially if it's a game, I just uninstall it. And even if you don't want to play it anymore, you just keep playing because you want to get better. Uh, yeah, you're not and, truly truly enjoying the game. Uh, you're true. just playing to get into into tournaments and stuff. Mm -hmm. It's hard. Uh, yeah, and it's it's when when something starts to get competitive, 
isn't isn't fun, right? Yeah. Especially again. It's never fun. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so uh, I used to play um, I used to play Left 4 Dead too, and the first one too. I I like strategy games sometimes, like Settlers or I which played, is German. Uh, yes, which is German, and I'm waiting for the new one to see yeah. how it goes. Uh, <laughs> uh, I even checked today if there was like something new because I haven't played much uh, for these last months. Did you and play I'm, Anno? I, uh, I played Anno the 1604, I think. Yeah. And it was really good at the time. I really liked it. I liked the game called Knights and Merchants. I think it was German too. I yeah. don't know. German, Germans are good at making. Uh, it's kind of funny. They're yeah, making a strategy yes. game. Maybe it's and, kind of, a, yeah. of the German um, mindset of getting everything right and everything is in uh, control. And yes. uh, yeah, I even, don't know. Even Settlers of Catan, which is a board game, is made by a German guy. So I don't know yeah, if you knew this. Hitler von Catan. Yeah, it's yeah, it's German. I played uh, it with my friends. Uh-huh. That was young. And, yeah, yeah, and it's it's. I don't know why the Germans do this, but it's. I hope they keep doing it because I like it. So <laughs> I, sometimes, like, I have this this mindset, which is like, oh, I want to play some action game, or I want to kill some people, or I want to score some goals, or sometimes I just want to listen to music and and build a city and see the the crop, the farms, and the pigs, and you know, yeah, uh, with uh, with the medieval uh, mindset, you know. I don't know why. But it's just, it's like, it's, um, I would say, seasons, you know? It's its to relax. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, I, I stopped playing any game competitive, uh, competitive, competitively, sorry, um, because all all the games, like, they're super competitive, like with the esports and Twitch now, everything yeah. is, is... There is, is coming more and more yeah, stuff with yeah. esports, I think. Yes, I never played Battle Royales, to be honest. Okay. Uh, uh, one of the last games I played was Dishonored. Dishonored, the first one. Like I played yeah. it two months ago. Uh, I finished like in two weeks. I was playing very, very relaxed, like like two hours per day or one hour per day, and 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 just to get, yeah, to just get to, zoned, to, to yeah. zoned out, yeah. Yeah. Um, because at the moment, like I'm, I'm more focused on doing portfolio. Uh, I stopped doing freelance to work more on portfolio, to go more to the gym or work out more. To feel better, you know. To like, do more for yourself, yes. yeah. Because now that I, I think I reached a certain level of, of, of professionalism, like, professionally, uh, like where I can stop a little bit in terms of work, 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 like go home, work on freelance, go to yeah. the studio, work, just to reach your and, goals, and, yeah. And sometimes I don't go to the gym or I can't be with people or you know, and at an, you I think I have to sacrifice I, pretty much a yeah. lot, and I decide to stop that and just focus on things that actually really matter which is health <laughs> uh, and um, and because professionally I think uh, I'm okay at the moment uh, I like where I am um, and uh, I overwork isn't my thing now like I, I work a lot but uh, I it's not freelance it's like personal stuff you know like I do it in a very slow pace at home at the moment I'm re- I'm doing it actually um and uh to some music grabbing yes, something to exactly, eat and not, exactly. no pressure no just, pressure exactly. just doing your no, stuff no, no deadlines no limitations no yeah. nothing you know yeah just just me and my my stuff and and i think it's a season that it's a thing that started in june and i hope it lasts a long time you know yeah so, that's the freedom you have to get when you when you have a job in the industry and 
you're happy with your life and you just want to keep keep developing to yourself but just mm -hmm. in a in a way of of yourself or, or what you want I, i've seen studios like um i've heard studios uh, that people that work there are like family people you know because sometimes for example uh, at elite and in this industry which is a really recent uh, industry you will find a lot of 20 year olds right yeah and 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 young people and young people they are not married they they don't have relationships most of them they are just like play games play games play games right and yeah. i've heard a lot of studios that uh everyone there is like married and has kids yeah so it's really really weird uh and really cool because as i'm getting older um i think those things are super important in the studio Peop uh, studios that value uh, family, studios oh, yeah. that value uh, marriages, relationships, you know. Uh, of course, at Elite, uh, that happens. They, everything. There's a, a big respect for that, um, you know. But there's a lot of studios out there that uh, that's they still have to uh, manage that. Um, it's still taking time for them to manage that. But they will get there, I hope. I think every every studio should get there because we are growing older, we are getting kids, we are getting married and all those stuff. Mm -hmm. And they have to they have to push us in a way to yeah, to feel happy in the in the company. Exactly, exactly. Yesterday yeah. I was at the games making games conference in Munich and the guy named oh. Samuel De Vos was talking there. He's a junior environment artist at Massive in Malmö. Uh -huh. Um, uh, oh yeah, okay. Uh, in Sweden, Ubisoft, mm -hmm. Ubisoft Massive, and mm -hmm. they have kind of a pretty pretty nice culture. Oh, they that's are, good. Well, they are developing and they are encouraging the guys to have parties. They have release parties, and mm -hmm. I think it's it's so such a nice environment to work in when you love what you do, when you are around people who fit in the team, who you who you're friendly with, and all those stuff. And this is so amazing to see that more and more companies are going in this direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, for example, I don't know if you heard about Riot. Yeah. Uh, they do Riot Games. Yeah, Riot Games. Um, I heard it's like I heard it's one of the best places to work, and um, I, I I wasn't never I was never a League of Legends guy, but but most of my friends were, and one thing I heard about their in their company was like. Um, if you want to work there, you have to have a really good life balance. Because I have yeah. heard of people who have super good portfolios, like amazing portfolios. And when they get there and get the interview, uh, of course, the interview lasts one day, by the way. Yeah. Uh, you go there uh, and, and all this stuff. Exactly. You go and meet the people in the studio. They will, they will see how, how you are, if you are an awkward person or a guy who... It's really, really uh, who is nice to work going. with. Exactly, yeah. easygoing, etc. And and if you're not that guy, I think they they won't hire you. And I personally, once I heard this, I was in love with 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 that concept. Like, oh my god, that's really amazing. Because uh, especially like every job I heard I I had in my life, like there's always awkward people, right? But yeah, there are always awkward people everywhere. Yeah, uh, but. Especially in the gaming industry, there's a lot of people who just play games and and I don't know. It's it's you have to 
to see for yourself. I won't I won't say anything more because <laughs> I'm talking too much. I think. Yeah. Uh, they, but there's a lot of awkward people. You know what I mean? Especially in the in, especially especially with people who are into games, there are a lot of people who are not really socialized. You know what you mean? I know uh, this this sounds a pretty. Uh, yes, that's true. Uh, many people they don't like yeah. to socialize. It's it's and it's yeah. if you want to work in a company where which is which is having this culture, which is which are getting more and more companies, mm-hmm. um, it's pretty hard to get a job. To be honest, uh, yes. you can be you can be so good, you can have amazing portfolios, but if you can talk to people or if you're not that that kind of a team guy, mm-hmm. I think you don't get the job. That's it. I would say. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I. I'm in favor of of that that mentality. Like I like this mentality as well because yeah, 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 yeah. games are not everything and work is not everything. Exactly, exactly. Work is not everything. Games are not everything. Of course, it it should be like the the, the thing be. is you you work you work in the, that yeah. company and of course the game is is the most important thing. You want sure. the game to be the best, etc. But, but uh, I don't come want on, to talk you have a life, right? All the time about <laughs> games. Yeah, I want to talk exactly. about soccer or it's just stuff I'm interested exactly. in. Or, yeah. Oh yeah, I mean. I mean, there's people, of course, that, for example, you're interested in soccer. I'm interested in magic and cinema, etc. And it's like some people in video game industry are just interested in video games. Yeah, just it's video just, games all day. Exactly, exactly. And and it's it's like, whoa, man, you're. I think you're going too far in in terms of your uh, tastes. Like, I think you should balance more your life. I don't know. Yeah. I I don't have that mentality, so that's why I I talk about it. You know. And this work-life balance is so important in my uh, opinion. yeah and i think companies like especially with for example i don't know if you heard life of pi they they, they had a huge crunch and yeah and companies and the oscars were there were some problems there and i think the 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 world itself and the industry it's it's getting better like way better and of, of course i think it has to it, it still had there's a lot to walk you know there's a lot to go through yet uh to get better and and uh it will take time for the industry to to reach a point where it's it's really good to work for to work in yeah. this industry which which, which it, it's really good to work for but of course there's a lot of things that need to get better you know what i mean yeah there are a lot especially, of things yeah especially when it's once you kind get of a in, young industry in this in this yes, in this size yeah. yeah it's getting bigger and bigger and it's mm-hmm. pretty young it's a it's a recent uh career it's a recent job you know yeah for well, like 15 years ago, nobody would would have said with 16 years I want to get into the games industry. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, are there any programs in Portugal who are supporting you with with games, or is there any any university where you can study like game animation, game art? Is there uh, anything? There's like one or two, one one or two in in Lisbon, one or two in in No Porto, and one in Algarve, I think, which is like south center and yeah, north, I know right? Algarve, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and but in Portugal, uh, there's a lot to there's a lot of work to be done because to improve, I, yeah. I see I yeah, I see like for example Gnomon. Of yeah. course, like Gnomon is like the best, right? <laughs> I'm comparing the the uh, the best Gnomon one workshop. of the best one. Yeah. Yes, and uh. And it's like I see the work from their, from their students, and it's it's whoa! You get just like whoa! This guy, these guys are are really yeah. learning fast, yeah. and and they really get really good, right? Uh, in Portugal, it doesn't happen that way because there's there's there isn't a lot of people to teach. Um, uh, the people who teach are people who worked in the small industries, not the big ones most yeah. of the time. 
experience. Yes, it will take a lot of time for for the industry in Portugal or the schools in Portugal to to develop and to get better and the students will be better, etc. Um, but it's getting there. It's getting there very, very slowly. Yeah, it's um, the same like in Germany. There are not really any game art, any game art which which are done by the state mm-hmm. or by the by the, by the government. I, I know all, a lot of. Sorry. They're all private, and you have to pay money for for it. Like uh, me, yeah. Yeah, I mean, for example, the the one I did my degree was private. Yeah. I had to pay. I had to pay for the for the my degree. Would I know you... a lot of. I know a lot of German guys who went to Holland for their degree because oh, okay. in Holland there's there's good schools. There are other countries who are really, really, really forward in this in this thing. Yeah, Sweden, uh, Netherlands. Sweden has good schools. England. Uh, Netherlands. England has good schools. Yeah, I, I, I had a and friend there who just finished, so and now many he's countries on are MPC, so far so. behind. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I think, for example, the taxes in England or or in Canada or something, they they don't tax that much for this industry because it's so recent. You know. Yeah. The the, the entertainment business. Um, it's so recent. I don't think the tax plan there is is, is as as uh, big as in Portugal, for example. Because if you want to work as a freelance in Portugal, you have to pay normal taxes, not not artistic ta- taxes. You know yeah. what I mean? So you you were on a private school, right? When you I went was, to, did I was. your did you when you did your degree? So would you say the private school was worth the money? Could nope. you could you have been <laughs> could you have been teaching yourself at home with just gnomnom workshops um, exactly YouTube tutorials paid tutorials uh, yeah uh, definitely ah, like is... for example for example for me I, I can tell you the price I paid I paid four thousand a month a year sorry so four thousand years, years yeah. a year a month uh, a year sorry so it's twelve thousand uh, yeah. in in three years. Uh, course like for example for germany it's three thousand uh, four thousand it's not that much but in portugal it is a lot right portugal yeah. is it's 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 poor and i mean you just can grab those four thousand euros and there's like so many mentors online you can pay like 500 euros or 300 euros or 800 you know and yeah. you can t- they can teach you for three months or two months uh All almost day. everything yeah yeah almost everything uh, one thing I've learned with university is that people shouldn't go to university, especially for this degree, right? For this, for artistic stuff, you know? For artistic stuff. But would you say that when you go to university, you meet a lot of people, you get kind of a network, you get kind of the possibility to meet new people from the industry? Uh, yes, actually, that's one that's, of the things. That's, the, that's the, one of the things, yeah. That's the thing that actually helped me with, um, that I think it's really good from the university. That's that's the only thing I, I think it's it's good that I took from the university, which is I met a lot of people. A lot of people were there because they didn't know what to do with their lives, and and uh, the same when when I was in engineering, you know. Uh, some people happened to be in animation because they yeah. they like Disney movies, you know. Uh, yeah. But it, it it isn't as people think, and there's a lot of people who are really really uh, driven, like they really want this. They they understand that the industry is this and that. Um, they really like the artistic uh, background of of movies and games and etc. And those people are very very limited in terms of like I only know three people who from my class that really want this because the the rest were like 30. So you know you can okay. count right like 20 around 27 
they are just like they really don't want this as much as we want it. So you have to really people, want it, yeah. Yeah, and those people that I I've met on university, um, I, sometimes they 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 give me freelance jobs or you know because they know me and they know who I am, they know my work and and that's really cool. That's one of the the cool things about about university, which is like I met people who are really driven and they work in in other studios and and you yeah get kind it, of a network yeah exactly exactly we, and which they you know don't you. get when you just sit at home yeah mm -hmm. no, that's true that's true and they, they know you and they introduce you to new people and since they they know you quite well you know it's it's quite easy so it's that's the only good thing about the university it's the network that's all <laughs> that's everything yeah <laughs> It's sad, now, but it's I was I was thinking the same before I started my my bachelor of game art mm -hmm. at the moment because yeah I saw so many people who were at the SAE Institute and their portfolio was pretty pretty bad when they left school and I was thinking what have you been doing for the three years or two exactly, years exactly exactly and I in my opinion you have to put in so so much work in your free time and the the stuff you get taught at the SAE or at the, at the university is not that good. Not the, not enough for the games industry, I would uh, say. No, you have to work a lot at home. You get the basics and that's it. And mm -hmm. just just work for yourself with the rest. Yeah. For example, in the Dutch the Dutch school I, I saw, like they are really, really demanding in terms of like they ask for the artists to on their last year to make portfolio. So yeah. They to, are get only... in, to get in the industry and exactly. to get in the university. Exactly. And they only uh, leave the school when they have a good portfolio. And I'm like, whoa, this, this is, is so important. This is so yeah. basic and no one does it, you know? Yeah. I, I don't know why. Because because for me, like most universities, they just want your money and that's it. Yeah. Like, and uh, they, it's they, a business. They, they, they change money with your degree and your degree is nothing in the industry. They don't look at the degree. They just look at exactly. the work. Exactly, university and it's a business, it's, and it's working right for them. So, unfortunately, yeah. And and most people will realize that the degrees are nothing. No one asks me about degrees here. On my, it helped me like it helps it helps you to get a visa. You know, for example, for Dubai, it probably helped me to get a visa faster than a person who doesn't have a um the degree a yeah. degree, but. Either way, I would ha I would have the visa anyway. You know what I mean for Dubai. Yeah. So, um, it, it's it's a sad reality about the university. I think everyone says the same about universities. Everyone in this industry. Yeah. It's, they say it's it's a waste of time, money, and you can learn it by yourself, and which is true. It so, is so true. Yeah. But I think you when you, when you're going to university, you get more of more of a you you learn yourself better. You know what I mean? Yes. You kind of get of a feeling for yourself. What can you do under pressure? How you do? How you deal with the with the time pressure? So mm -hmm. you have to. You always have to give some work to the university to get feedback. And it's that's that's one thing I always said that the university is having an advantage because yeah, it's more for yourself to development, but on a technical standpoint, it's not enough, and it's it's, it's not just enough, yeah. it's just a waste of money. Yeah, I, uh, I was I was mm -hmm. knowing that before. Yeah. One thing I I agree I agree with what you said, and most uh, most of the things I've done in university were 
just things to try. I, sorry, yeah. I tried many, many things and I was like, okay, I don't want this. Uh, the, this looks cool. Let's keep on exploring it. Oh, okay, I don't like this at all. I learned like photography. I learned uh, illustration, drawing. I was I wasn't very good at drawing at the time. Yeah, you know, yes, uh, well, I'm not that good in drawing. I'm uh, more of a 3D. And mo most people aren't. And <laughs> most people who work in 3D and they used to draw, they work so much on 3D that they forget to draw. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's sad. It's sad. Like they they of course like artistic concepts and skills they you never lose them right which is yeah. good uh but it's sad that i i know artists really good artists and they don't draw anymore because they are so consumed by the 3d <laughs> that their skill on drawing is is completely obsolete so, <laughs> yeah it's just it's just yeah so many people in my classes especially are just saying i want to be a concept artist every everyone wants to be a concept artist because they can draw they can uh -huh. There are so many talented people who can really, they can draw really, really good, and and I'm always saying, yeah, okay, just do your, just do your thing, and you will see concept artists is pretty, pretty hard. Uh, yes, concept art is like I think it's harder than, than, than 3D. Yeah. In terms of art and in terms of getting into the industry, and because concept art is about pre-production. It's re really freelance, right? It's much uh, of a freelance job. Uh, yeah, it's like it happens to be like freelance, and uh, most of the time is uh, it's pre-production. So it's like you work in the beginning of the projects, and most of the time it's like I've heard of directors that have three concept artists, you know. Yeah. And when you start the production of a movie, there's like hundreds of modelers, you know. Yeah. Like hundreds, and it's like it's a very specific uh, position in the industry. I think character artists too, and weapon artists, and vehicle artists, and environment. Uh, but it, it, I think it's the, harder. The demand is really high for yes. for these for these yes. positions. Yes. But it's also a pretty hot competition. Mm -hmm. So yeah, David, I think we are done. Mm -hmm. I oh, think man. we can call this done. I, I it's my first thank podcast, you. so. <laughs> yeah, my, my first as well. I, I will I will get this going. We'll, we'll see where where the, where the game. The game art talk is going. So mm -hmm. I have some more guests in the future episodes uh -huh. already. And yeah. I'm curious to, 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 to see your progress in the in this, man. I will listen to your podcast in the future. Oh, thank you so, uh, so much. I will see. I will, I will load it on YouTube and we'll see. Uh -huh. It's really good to, to see something from its, um, from its birth and, yeah. and growing. And I hope it grows really, really well. And I Thank really, so I like to talk a lot. So uh, yeah. it's, it was really good to, yes, to well. be your guest, you know, in this uh, podcast. Okay. And uh, I hope to see you in the industry. And uh, and I hope to see your podcast in the future. Thank so, you. Thanks very much. Thank you. So bye-bye. Okay. Bye, man. Thank you very much. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Game Art Talk podcast. My second guest on this episode is no other than Jean-Francois Garnier, better called Jeff because of this complicated French name. He is 33 and currently working as a level designer for DICE in Stockholm. In this show we will be talking about what a level designer is doing, how to start with level design and how his career started out. So let's wait not any longer and hop right into the talk. 
Hello and welcome to another episode of the Game Art Talk podcast. My today's guest is Jean-Francois Gagnier. Oh, that was he's good. Better, he's better called Jeff. He's 33 and currently working at DICE in Stockholm. Hey, Jeff, glad to meet you. Hello. Glad to, to have you too. here. Yes, I'm happy so, to be here too. So you, you are a level designer. Maybe you can tell me something about, about what is a level designer doing? Maybe it's designed the wrong word in this in this. Uh, accusation a lot of people they think about design something artistic and yeah yeah it's like it's it's pretty hard to explain the job because it's so many different things uh like when i say that i design people ask me if i program anything uh this is one of the most question i get first and i have literally never programmed anything and i've been doing that job for 13 years now um <clears throat> So yeah, let's let's put that thing out of the way. And then you talked about art also. Um, depending on the company, when I was at Larian before Dice, uh, since it was a smaller company, I made some art. But okay. it's also it's not like usually not the job you do. So you did some lev some modeling, some texturing on all those yeah, kinds. I've of done stuff. some modeling in my career for a different reason, like low level modeling modeling. I haven't modelized a character or anything, but when it comes to architecture or something like that, I could make something in SketchUp, for example, or 3D okay. Studio Max that could look like a house, maybe, or a car, or something like that. But yeah, as a level designer, um, like the most classic example, example I take when I uh, when I explain my job to people who have no clue about the industry is. If you take the first Mario game ever created, um, you start the first level and there's a Goomba coming to you. And then after that, there's some blocks and then there's some question mark blocks. One of them has a mushroom. Okay. That, there's a green pipe. There's a hole. There's more Goombas and stuff like this. So this is the low, like the lowest, the easiest way to explain my job is this basically. So that's what I do. I am the one who will say the Goomba is coming to you. I am the one who will place the Goomba. I'm the one who will place the blocks. I'm the block, the one who will place the pipe. Okay. I will, I will place a pipe, but the color of the pipe is not all of my, you know, it's not, it's out of my job. This is the artist who will decide if it's blue or blue or like black or white or whatever. So it's like. Interesting. You're working with blocks, right? Yes, most of the time. Like there's also. <laughs> There's a, there's a, to that I will open a bracket and say when I when I explain things in level design and I talk about level design technicalities I, I there's a rule that I call it's the if but so basically whatever I say about level design can be true or false depending on the situation so <laughs> but okay. it, yeah uh, so for for that job here uh, it's it's one of the job basically I create the gameplay. So one high level thing that I also say normally is if the game is fun, it can be because of me. And if it's bad or boring, it can also be because of me. Okay. So um, you're kind of leading the player a bit, right? Yes, I am. I you try, job. You try to job. lead the player with all your, your possibilities you have. Yes, lights, uh, it's, it's big. Like flows is one of the most important thing for me when I make maps. Um, so lights it's important like but we we have to work with the artist like the okay. bf the bf5 prologue just talking about that 
yeah. when you start you uh, fall on the sky and then you go up a hill a snowy hill well there's footstep on the ground that leads you up you when you land the camera is pointing in the direction i want you to go there's a couple of ally soldier coming up the hill with you to guide you to that thing because since it's the first thing you play in the game and maybe someone this is their first first person shooter in their life so you have to figure out stuff so uh it's it's all these little details that helps the really logical right yes exactly and there's lights and then if you move around it's darker uh player will always move towards the light they will always follow the track even though it's open world or whatever most player will just keep on the road you know yeah that's Uh, kind of a base rule when it comes to level design i guess the light you you can lead with light oh yes yes it's really important nowadays it's like you know Left 4 Dead, uh, they made an amazing job for that uh, on the game back then. And uh, lights is super, super, super important in this game, and that's how they guide the player. And you know, like I said, player won't go to dark an area uh, usually because it's it doesn't feel safe. Uh, it's it's like maybe there would be monsters or enemies or stuff like that. Um, I usually never put enemies in dark and dark area because gameplay track gameplay. Um, So if I put an enemy in a dark area, maybe there's a reason, like I said, uh, everything I say may be true or false, depending on the situation, but um, putting a treasure, for example, uh, could be good, though, because you reward exploration. So it's another thing. Uh, But if you want to guide the player somewhere, you better put the gameplay ingredient like enemies or collectibles like the the, the coins in mario for example yeah or something like that in the light because players will then go there and if for whatever reason there's no lights or something in your level well if you want to guide the player put enemies or gameplay so they will be attracted <laughs> gameplay attract players so uh but yeah that's it's part of my job but also like you know Script events is also a thing, uh, you know, if at that specific time I want a plane passing by and shooting people and uh, I want to call an explosion or something like that, well, okay. it could be part of my job. I'm not the one making the explosion, but when the explosion happens, if it's... This is your job. This can be my job, like I said. Okay. It, it could be true or false depending on the situation, but like if you go... To a specific place and there's a building falling up every single time you play well it's mostly a level designer or a scripter or like whatever else who decided that this building will oh, collapse okay. at the same time so, so, so did you have you, you worked on like five assistants creed, creed games uh, i guess is it five or six i don't know that's a, there's a lot i counted five brotherhood revelation three Black Flag Syndicate, but I also worked on, well, um, Tyranny of King Washington DLCs, which is part of Battlefield 3, but it's another Battlefield, Jesus Christ, Assassin's Creed 3, uh, which is also some sort of another game. So yeah, five or six, depending on the the detail. How you you counted, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But yes, a lot. So could you say in the level design, is there any difference between Assassin's Creed and Battlefield Everything's different. Everything's Everything is different. different. Uh-huh. What is different? How do you approach the game differently? Um, well, if the easiest question is like, 
it's not for me because I haven't worked on multiplayer, but obviously multiplayer map in Battlefield is really different than uh, an open world map in Assassin's Creed. Right? Map, Assassin's Creed. Yeah. And that's that's the thing also. Depending on the war stories, uh, some of the war stories we wanted them to be more open. Uh, Nordlist is one, and uh, Nor Under No Flag is one too. The others are more linear. Um, like you, when you create, when you make Assassin's Creed first, it's uh, really important. It's it's also um, Dice work away and Ubisoft work away, which is really different also. Okay. Uh, but you know, in Assassin's Creed, basically, I will take Syndicate uh, because it's I was lead level designer on that one, and this is the the Assassin's Creed that uh, was leaded in the studio I was working on. Because Assassin's Creed is made with like 1,000 people in nine different studios, so yeah, it's a pretty uh, that's, a, huge that, yeah, that's a lot of people. But yeah, if I take Syndicate for example, when you create Assassin's Creed, it's it's in real life location, which is the same thing with Battlefield, uh, yeah. but like you have to be really accurate in the world you create in Assassin's Creed um, because it's it's how it is you know real life building needs to look like real life building and it's the same thing in uh, the Rotterdam multiplayer map yeah. in Battlefield 5 it really looks like the real place you know and it's really good um, but when I was like working in a prologue which is a really specific experience it was I didn't create the, the, the stuff like I was building the map in Assassin's Creed because it's linear and then Assassin's Creed you have to create a 360 approach to every single area you make. Yeah, it's and, a sandbox game. Yes, but also Assassin's Creed is one of the hardest, oh, I could say that, I don't know. Spider-Man was probably freaking hard to make too, but like you can literally go everywhere in Assassin's Creed. You can climb on anything, you can jump on everything and stuff. So it's it's really 360 because you can come from the sky, you can come from the, the underground if there's some paths there or whatever. So um, it's really different uh, to create that kind of game than a Battlefield game where you are on the ground uh, yeah. and then you well you can jump and stuff but you can't climb freaking everything towers yeah. and stuff yeah but on the other side there's destructions there's a lot of different kind of vehicles you have planes and then you know when you make an under under no flag war stories you can you can pilot the plane you know so level designer worked at that they had to obviously think okay so if the player you know stay on foot that would be his gameplay. Uh, but if he decides to go in a plane, well, the gameplay needs to be adaptive to that thing. So okay. uh, we don't have plane in Assassin's Creed. Well, we had the flying machine back then, but it was a specific <laughs> mission. In the second one. Exactly. It was a specific mission, but uh, yeah. So it's, it's, it's really different to uh, create both, but the, the same principle apply to every single game when in, you work on level design, you know. With flow, consistencies, like I said, and other stuff like this, difficulty progression. Uh, you know, Assassin's Creed is not good for that. Uh, this is not a game, usually, that becomes harder. Um, even though, like, like if you take Assassin's Creed 2, for example, it's even the opposite. Like, the difficulty curve is under, like, going down. Yeah. The beginning of the game is harder, 
And then at the end, you have so much power and stuff and all the things. Yeah, you, you kind of have to go out and just exactly. run through enemies. Yeah. But Assassin's Creed is not a game that is supposed to be hard or challenging in any way. It's a game that puts you in a time period, in a historical yeah. period, and then you just toy with it, you know? Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, that's that's some sort of difference, I guess, between both games. Also, yeah. you know, comparing a third-person adventure with a first-person shooter is obviously really... It's obviously different. another game, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, what was the hardest part in the level design process of, of Battlefield 5? Well, since I only worked on the prologue, well, I'm working on Combine Arms now, but I can't talk about that because it's not released. Um, okay. The prologue, um, what was hard is, the prologue is, you know, now with uh, games today, you have a TRC uh, thing that you have to do for console that you have to be able to play the game after you install a certain amount of data. Uh, yeah, no, every, single game, yeah. every single game of that. The yeah. prologue is that thing for Battlefield. Um, it was the same thing for Battlefield 1. You could install five gigabytes of data and then start playing and then you will play the prologue. So it's the same thing with uh, Battlefield 5 prologue, but the Sony and Microsoft changed their TRC, I think, maybe last year or something like that. So instead of having five gigabytes, we had 10. So we had double the size of data we could use compared to BF1 prologue. So that's why we decided to have a crazy thing to go into five different biomes and then switch like between different area and gameplay and stuff seamlessly because you start in Norway and then in a, a snap you're in a tank in Africa and then in another snap you're a sniper in another part of Africa and then in another snap, you're flying a plane in the sky, and then in another snap at the end, you're down on the ground as an infantry British man fighting with tanks and stuff, you know? Okay. Everything is seamless. Um, there's no loading or whatever, because since it's the thing you have to be able to play while you install the game, you can't save, you can't uh, load. So everything, like... It doesn't look like it when you play it, but, uh, you know, the hardest part for us was to fit five different countries in one in, map. In, okay, okay. Everything is in one map. Uh, yeah. I'm, like, soon enough, when, like, next week, when the, the game will be really released for real for every single one in the world, um, I will show a screenshot of the top view of the map because, you know, it was, it was, it was technically hard to pull, um, because you have to, we have to stream everything. And then, you know, I posted a GIF on Twitter about like, you know, the, I don't remember the, the TV show, but like there's the dog, there's a little dog uh, on the train and he's basically putting the tracks in front of the train as the oh, train. Oh, yeah, yeah, up. yeah. I know this GIF. Exactly. So this is literally the prologue. You Was it are... Gromit? Huh? <laughs> I don't know. It's in his back. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> But like, it's a prologue. You, we install the game, and then we're basically streaming the data as you move forward with your character, basically. And then we are on like on streaming in your back. So when you are the when you in the first cinematic, we are installing the game and streaming the first area you will load in. 
and then you get in and then while you're getting in we are installing and streaming the second area when you get to the second area we are uninstalling the first area and then okay. streaming the next one and then it goes on and on and on until the prologue is done you know because we are so limited with the amount of data we can have at the same time and since we have you know four different set of textures for the biome because you have one that it's in the snow the other one is in the desert using one is the other one is in like france or something with green grass and trees and the other one is in the sky so it's it's a lot of data that you can't have at the same time so that that was like the hardest part literally was to be able to fit that in a map uh, and find solution to be able to hide everything for the player because at some point i remember you were able to see norway from france basically because like it was how it is how the map is made um so that was really the the hard thing about bf5 from my experience was well the prologue because it was it was one technical thing to be able to pull off even though it's like a 10 minute experience uh it's probably the hardest technical map i've done in my career literally yes yeah, often the same case the smallest the smallest things take the longest yes and it was probably the most expensive one to make too oh okay Okay. Because of the cinematics and the voiceover and the, you know, Mark Strong is the narrator for the... The game has follow. to be impressive, yeah, at the it's beginning. So it's just like, it's, um, it was a big thing. It was a small thing, but like for, for, for people, it's a, the player, it's a small thing. Just like the thing you start and then it's cool, like, and then like gives a lot of different emotions and people. Uh, there's some people who cried playing the prologue and stuff, but like in the back, there's like fucking huge gigantic thing that had to be done to make that okay. thing uh, happen so yeah so you moved to dice in march march of this year in march yes. so why dice why 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 europe um i worked on the division six years ago um when i was at ubisoft i was sent for massive yes right. for massive I was sent on a mission um, to work at Massive because basically I went to Sweden four times, one, two, no, three times, four times, yes, four times. And then three times was at Massive for the four times here. But um, we basically started working with Massive in Quebec on the division. And um, I was alone in Quebec, but my level design team was in Massive, basically. So I had okay. five guys with me or something like that. So at some point they were like, yeah, obviously it's it's pretty hard to for communication and stuff. So they sent me to Massive and I lived in Malmö for uh, five months uh, and I fell in love with Sweden, literally, uh, easy as that. So I came back for a different reason uh, because whatever, Quebec stopped working with Massive and we went on more Assassin's Creed and thing. Um, so I kept on working at Ubisoft for years, and then uh, I went to Larian, working on Divinity Originals in 2, and then after the project was shipped, I wanted to do something else, and maybe move. Um, and I applied to some companies. I really wanted to work on a first-person shooter, okay. so obviously I applied to companies who had some sort of first-person shooter experience. Uh, or 
you know, whatever. But I applied that DICE and I applied that Massive again because I work there and they are working on the Avatar, uh, the next game. And I was like, yeah, it could be fun to work on that thing, even though I have no clue what it is. Uh, it could be really cool. Uh, and then I also applied at Naughty Dog, not that they work on a first-person shooter, but there was an opening for The Last of Us 2, and that's a franchise I really love. Um, and then there was um, there was other companies in the UK also wanted to get me whatever. But uh, so yeah, so um, I got an interview at Dice and an interview at Massive almost at the same time. So I flew to Sweden in January, then I went back to Quebec, and then I flew back to Sweden again two weeks later to for another for, interview for Massive for another interview. Okay. Um, they both wanted me, uh, so I took Dice because I don't know I wanted to go in I wanted to go to Stockholm and they were offering more and um, I don't know it was it was different like yeah, I lived in Malmo it was really cool uh, but I was like okay we'd experience something else whatever. And then um, I literally, the why is like, I literally applied in Sweden because I wanted to go back to Sweden. Um, my choice was either California or um, Sweden. California because sun, beach, you know, no winter. Uh, I'm Canadian. So Stockholm is have, the whole difference, right? It's, it's really, yes, it will be really different. But then I, I went to Sweden. I feel I feel like home here. It's uh, you know it's it's not the as cold. It's far from as cold as Quebec City, uh, and it's usually not as warm in the summer either. But uh, yeah, I moved here, and um, I'm really happy about it. Uh, but yeah, that's that's literally why I took I took Sweden because the country is amazing. It fits with my political view, and it's like it's some sort of like smaller, expensier, better Canada. Uh, with more Swedes and good-looking people, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's 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 why. And I'm so. I'm happy you, you, what about Naughty Dog or uh, Naughty Dog? Like basically, um, they contacted me back six months after I applied, and it was in Jan. It was in January. Okay. So um, I was really deep in the process with Dice and Massive. Uh, I already had a pretty good test to make for Massive that took some time, a lot of brain power, then all the interview because I had like a phone interview at Massive, a test, another phone interview, then I went to Massive to have the on-site interview. Then at DICE I had two phone interview, then three interview at DICE. So you know, after all of this I didn't want to restart the process with another company. And I was so deep in the process with both of them that I knew that I guess if they flew me over, except if I would be like a freaking asshole or something, I knew that they would probably propose me something. Okay. So uh, that's that's literally why I said like, Naughty Dog really wanted me. It was crazy because I had to tell three times to the guy that I was not interested anymore because I was in the process with other companies. Like I was really clear. Like sorry, you were you 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 took your sweet time and then that's that's it, you know. Uh, and then his his boss, basically the the recruiter boss of that dude, contacted me again like three <laughs> weeks after to see if I was interested. I was like, Jesus Christ, no! I mean, you're too late. So um, and to not go into details, I don't know. Going to the U.S. at that time, right now, 
in the world, I'm not exactly sure I'm interested in that. So you're so, in a great uh, demand, right? Yeah, exactly. So uh, I went to Sweden instead. It's, uh, it's calmer. It, 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 I'm almost like home. It's different, but the same. So, uh, but yeah, uh, I would have loved to work on The Last of Us for sure, because I love this game and working on a really linear single experience is really good for a level designer. It's probably the best thing to work on to some extent. So, uh, but yeah, I'm at DICE now, so um, I don't so know. How was it to move to Sweden? Your, your whole relocation process took a pretty while. I, I, I read it on, on Twitter. Yes. But, uh, I mean, that's also why I took DICE, because I haven't done anything, really. Um, there's a group here called the Nordic Relocation Group. And okay. basically, this is a lot of people paid by EA uh, to just make sure that we, foreigner have the easiest time to move over. So basically, I had a couple of paper to sign and stuff, but that's pretty much the only thing that I've done. Uh, okay. Like so, they they took your stuff to Sweden. They they made they, all the paperwork. There's a company. There's a moving company from Montreal who came to my home in Quebec. They packed everything. I haven't touched a single thing. And then they put that into a truck. And then they sent that to a big container. And then the container set, was sent on a ship up to Sweden. And then they paid for everything. I have I haven't paid a single buck for that. Okay, that's and pretty I, nice. Like all the, the visa and the paperwork, uh, everything, it was made by uh, the relocation group also. I haven't done anything. Like I, I had to go in person to like the tax office when I arrived here and stuff. But my my agent was with me. And then, you know, if there was something in Swedish or whatever, and they were really good explaining everything to me. And then, you know, it was just like, so yeah, this is for that. This is for this. You have that. You need your personal number to live in Sweden, whatever. And then all the paperwork, they've done it. Like, I haven't done any single freaking paperwork. And it's good because I hate that. Um, and then, you know, uh, I was in a temporary apartment when I arrived in uh, at DICE. I was, like, literally at one and a half minute walk from the office. Really oh. beautiful, good apartment. Uh, I was not paying it. It was paid by DICE for two months. Okay. Uh, and then during that time, me and my agent, we visited an apartment that he found uh on the market and then i found one in uh, where i live now in the one of the richest neighborhood in stockholm and you know he, he found the apartment and i visited it i was like yeah i want that one so you know and he make sh make sure to use like whatever his power was to uh make the paperwork and stuff so like literally i haven't i haven't done anything it was the smoothest experience in my life um that's pretty they, nice. Yeah, I think Dice has a has a has this this what to say this um, this thinking that they have to give everything for their employers. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a thing with the the industry in general too. You know, it was the same thing at Ubisoft. Uh, it was really Ubisoft is an amazing company to work with, uh, to work for, uh, and you know they they give a lot to the employees and. You know, we say dice, 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 but this whole thing about relocation is EA. You know, it's uh, yes, it, dice is part of EA, but and dice have done a lot of things. But this whole thing about moving and stuff, this is EA moving basically. And there's a thing called EA travel, so it's part of the EA group. So if I would have moved to 
whatever other studio in the world for EA, I would have had the same the same experience. Same yeah. experience, basically. It's not really dice on that part. Um, you know, they even gave me money. Basically, they since I was moving, they knew that I would have to buy stuff because whatever. That's how it works. And then like furniture and that, all those stuff. Yeah, I got a lot of money just to move. You know, so. Yeah. Uh, it's it's really it's uh, it was it was an amazing experience like super smooth and then if I ever have to move to another company uh, if I don't have the same treatment I would be really sad. <laughs> it's hard to beat I think this experience. Uh, yes. This company. I must say it's uh, I don't know if there's uh, another company who can top that. Okay. What EA have done for me basically. Okay, so you started in 2005 with your yes. education? No, nope, not at all. It's not related at all. Um, in Back then in Quebec City, uh, there was not a lot of manpower to work in the industry. And then uh, there was a little, there were some little companies, but Ubisoft decided to open a studio in June 2005. Um, and then I remember because I studied to be like an IT guy, basically, you know, building and fixing computer and stuff. And uh, I worked uh, as an IT guy for like six months and it was boring. And I was like, bah, I want to do something else. I hate that. Okay. And then my cousin was like, hey, there's a company like who's open in, in Quebec downtown. And uh, they need a video game tester. And uh, I was like, oh, that's cool. What's the company? And it was like, that's Ubisoft. And I was like, what the fuck is Ubisoft? I had no clue. <laughs> I had <literally laughs> no clue what Ubisoft was. Uh, so I was like, oh, okay, cool, whatever. And then I applied too. And then we both had an interview, but sadly for him, I got the job. So, um, and it's literally how it started. I have no degrees and whatever. Uh, I haven't studied video game design because... It didn't exist at all in Quebec when I started. Like then, yeah. It's just so, not a thing. Yeah. Uh, so, like, I just started as a tester, and then I was a tester for 10 months. And then I was a good friend with uh, one of the lead level designers who was at Ubisoft. Uh, we drank a lot of alcohol together and partied a lot together and stuff. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really interesting to see how it came out to be useful but like I used to be a dungeon master uh, but I, I'm, I'm still I still am 15 years later but like I had a lot of maps that I created for my party and stuff and dungeons and everything and I at some point I showed him that thing and he was like that's really interesting because that's an important thing for a level designer to be able to do these kind of stuff yeah I was not really really aware of that and then Long story short, at some point he asked me, like, do you want, would you have to be a level designer? And once again, I was like, uh, sure, but I have no clue what it is. And then he told me, like, yeah, you make maps and stuff. And <laughs> since I was already doing that at home back then, in my friends, I was like the map guy, you know. Uh, I was making maps in StarCraft and WarCraft and Heroes of Might and Magic and stuff. And this is, I, I was really enjoying doing that. So now I was like, oh, I could get paid to make this? Wow, okay. So uh, yeah, like I had an interview, like bracket, bracket, because like it was not really an interview. It was just a freaking joke. Uh, and then I got the job. And since then I'm a level designer, basically. So, so 
this is how how your career started, right? Yes, it's a really unique process that you can't really copy paste because um, I say that maybe at some point I was I was kind of lucky to you know know the right people at the right time and be at the right place at the right time. Yeah, that's uh, always pretty pretty important in this industry. Yeah, it is, but like nowadays, uh, I still believe that uh, like degrees and studying and stuff is not important well at least for me as a level designer you know I, I i've seen a lot of portfolio and other things in my career related to that uh level design wise obviously and you know studying game design is one thing it's really good or whatever but you have to ship something you have to build something and that's that's what i look Experience, at right yeah, exactly experience company whatever but like personal experience and it's the same thing for artists to some extent like yeah, it's really good portfolio well that's what is important whatever degree piece of paper you can have it's like well nobody cares i don't give a damn about that <laughs> yeah nobody cares about you about your degree yeah exactly it's just a piece of paper but and this degree learning. can help you to get a good portfolio yeah indeed because um, you will learn some some way of doing things, but then it's useful to some extent because every single video game company is different. Um, so if you get a job, you will get to one company and then whatever you learn at school, you would be like, oh, okay, uh, we didn't learn that at school or it was not like that or whatever, but then you will need to adapt. And that's, that's how it is basically. But having obviously, like you said, uh, a course in something, a degree in something, helped you, well, create some bases, at least. Yeah. So you, you always learned by yourself, I guess. You, you, did you take any workshops? Did you, did you work on your free time? How did, you, how did you get better? I got better by working, and I'm a really fast learner, and I... I was working with some senior uh, back then also, and I literally like, I'm a sponge. I'm a knowledge sponge. And I was literally just looking at one guy working and another guy working and stuff. But what really helped me, and I think that was probably a, a really lucky move also in the past is when I was in Prince of Persia, um, the most senior guy was working with us uh, he was from Montreal. He worked on Assassin's Creed before and stuff. Uh, he broke one of his arm, basically. Okay. So um, he was not able to work, really, uh, with a mouse and keyboard because he had only one arm. And then we had to do something called uh, the FPP, which is an internal uh, gate process at Ubisoft. It's the first player publishable. It's basically a map, an experience that is like pre-alpha, but it looks like the end of the game that you show to the ad management of Ubisoft. Okay. And then looking at that, they, they say like, okay, your project is good, go into production, or no, it's complete shit, we cancel that or whatever. So um, basically my senior guy was supposed to do that map, but since he broke an arm, he wasn't able to. So when we made the map, I was basically his hands because I work really fast. And he was basically designing on the fly and I was integrating stuff as he was talking to me at my computer. So I literally like soaked everything he was telling me. 
and learned because of that you know i think that's, this that's, is the best this is the best yeah. thing that could happen to you while learning yes it was it was really awesome um and then you know i i i i don't know i i looked at other games and other my, my colleague were working and you know communication is important and spreading the information and stuff so uh yeah i haven't took any workshop or whatever level design is like you know i wrote a blog a long time ago saying that level design can't be teached um i still believe in that part for some extent uh like it's level design is a lot of trial and error and then you learn that way uh, because like i said earlier everything can be good depending on the situation with level design um like you know if you take there, there's some level there's some level in dark soul that are horrible but they work well because it's dark soul and if okay. you would put that in whatever other game like the legend of zelda that would be horrible you know that would not fit at all yeah. and then taking a legend of zelda level and putting that in dark soul would be horrible because it doesn't fit at all you know so um it's it's like it it all depends on the game you work on and everything and it's good to when you're alone as a level designer it's really hard to get better so i guess you take workshop and whatever okay and when you work on triple when you work for triple a companies working on triple a games there's so many other people working with you that if you're good at soaking in or like you can that. stuff yeah that that's how i became better basically just learning from others and then trying my own things and okay so this thing doesn't work why trying to figure it out you know when we have the play test and everything like someone is playing your game and you have your objective and the objective is there straight in front of him but this guy doesn't see it okay so why you know it's it's my job to make it better it's not the player who if the player doesn't understand normally it's supposed to be our job to fix it so, um, so you're talking with a lot of QA guys, right? Yep. Yeah, like, but like for me, level design is in the middle of everything. You have game design and programming and QA and artist, animator, like name it, like everyone. But level design will always be in the middle of everything, because kind when game designer, game, right? Yeah, game designer create gameplay ingredients that we level designer use, and then programmer they program everything that we level designer decide to use and the artist the modeler and the texture when they create props this is something that we level designer will place and level artist and then level artists place stuff in our map so it fits you know and then you know we are in the middle of everything so a good level designer would speak with everyone um, okay to make so a good map so you told me you have seen a lot of level design portfolios how does a level design portfolio look like it's I think it's pretty different to an art portfolio where you yes. put your props in and all those stuff. Yeah, um, that's the sad thing because there's a lot. Of the, the, there's still I think the majority of people doesn't understand what level design is. Yeah. Um, and I've seen portfolio of level designers who had just like beautiful vistas. You know, I was like, but this is not level design. Uh, visual composition nowadays in AAA industry is important for a level designer to have, but this is not part of the level design job, you know? It's not his job, right? Exactly. So for me, like a really good level design portfolio is a portfolio that show design process, 
a video of maps of gameplay basically because showing gameplay on a piece of paper that is not interactive is really hard um so yeah video showing gameplay design process documents like a pretty pretty bullet point e-document could work also just just to show design process you know what was the thought because that's what i want to know when i hire a guy and i interview a guy is like how do you design stuff because there's no bad way design bad or good better way to design stuff but i want to know what's your design process you know and like there's the all the keywords i want to know when like i want to hear when i talk to someone about like i said flow and then you know difficulty and Con, like consistency and progression and like the, the, these these magical words it's important because if the level designer has no fucking clue about flow and like difficulty progression like i don't see how he's supposed to make good levels um and then you know i'm perfectly okay and i want to see gray blocks level in a level design portfolio because if the guy is able to make a fun and kind of even good looking environment with only gray blocks well that's a really good sign for me you know um and yes if the, the guy or the girl is good enough to make something beautiful well you can put that somewhere uh but i will look at that last time like in, in the last in the last thing when i look at portfolio because i don't mind about that because 99.9 percent .9 of the time you won't have to make anything beautiful as a level designer it's not your job uh so it's not important to me okay so Basically. as a level designer i think you have to to know the engine in and out right you're yes because you are in the middle you have to grab everything and com composite all the scan together you, ha you yes. have to be pretty pretty good in the engine so how is the frostbite engine to work with uh um, work with the ubisoft engine right it's, yeah the thing uh, is in triple a's industry um And that's related really to the other question with the portfolio. Um, learning editors is important, but in the end, they almost feel the same to some okay. extent. Uh, so, like, you know, people will listen to this podcast and stuff. And, you know, obviously, the two main editors now are Unreal and Unity. And it's good to learn them if you, like, you know, you haven't, you haven't worked in the industry or whatever. It's important to know editors. But in the end, depending on the company, uh, you will not use them probably. Like, uh, if, especially if you go to a AAA company, uh, some still use Unreal, some of them. But in my career, I never use them. So Ubisoft, they have... Um, it's funny because every single project as Ubisoft uh, has their own editor. So Assassin's Creed is Anvil. Um, Far Cry is Junior, uh, Division was um, Snowdrop, Snowdrop. Uh, Prince of Persia was Jade, um, For Honor is Blacksmith, which is some sort of anvil but different. Uh, so like every single project uh, is own editor. And then Frosted at Dice is the one that is used for everything. Um, and I would say Frosted is easier than Anvil for Assassin's Creed is the worst editor I use in my life. Not because it's bad, it's really powerful, but it's hard. It's really hard yeah. to use. The more and powerful, the harder it gets, right? Oh yes, and it's overwhelming. There's a billion buttons everywhere and stuff, and then you don't use 95% of them. And 
it's really, really, really powerful. But if you don't have a programmer with you, you can't do shit with Anvil, you know. Um, they added visual scripting. It was called Domino in Anvil. You know, it's like a blueprints and Kismet and whatever. Uh, they added that. Uh, was it? Uh, maybe it was like six, maybe six, seven years ago or something. So it was desperately needed, and now it's it's like we can script stuff or whatever. But uh, coming back to Frosted, it's um, it's a really powerful engine too. You know, you, you see in Battlefield, games look so freaking amazing yeah, yeah. with all the destruction and stuff and whatever. Um, but there's still things that are really weird to me. Like, oh my god, it's like a big AAA editor and stuff. But there's simple things that Frosted doesn't do. Like, a, like the simplest thing for me is when you generate nav mesh for the AI, for example. It's really technical here, but when you generate nav mesh. You can't partially generate nav mesh in areas. You have to always generate the whole freaking map. And if the map is big, it takes a lot of time and it's annoying, you know? So yeah. it, it's a small thing. I was like, what? When I was at Larian Studios, uh, indie company, small company, a small editor, you're able to partially generate nav mesh. You don't have to generate nav mesh for the whole map every single time, you know? So uh, there's, there's some different things, you know? It's... Um, there's some shortcuts that I would love to have that I had in the past, like a keyboard shortcut to be able to rotate an object 90 degree uh, oh. in, a, in, a, in a shortcut. You know, it's uh, it was not at Larian. We didn't have that in the in the Divinity editor, but I asked the the, the team tool uh, people like, can you can you just create that thing for me, please? It would be really useful. It will like help me work really faster. So that's that's a thing. Uh, you know, the, the small things. Uh, but in the end, like, yeah, you can you can make a lot of really cool things uh, with Frosted, obviously. So, so, yeah. Would you have any advice for young students who want to become a level artist? So, a level artist. Yeah. Um, something you would say. I wish I, I knew this when I started out as a as a level artist in 2006. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I'm not a level artist, obviously. Oh, sorry, level designer. Aha, level designer. I, okay. I did the, I did you wrong. I did the wrong question. So sorry. I was like, okay, I can I can maybe find a couple of things for level artists. <laughs> I'm um, so sorry. Um, read about level design. The basic concept of level design. It's important. There's a lot of of uh, amazing books out there. Um, I don't have anything coming to mind, but like. Now, there's so many books uh, that you can read um, about just like, yeah, the concept of level design is important. Um, now, since games are getting like bigger and bigger, um, if you have certain knowledge in architecture, for me, it's re it's a big plus. Like, oh my God, when I see a level designer who has architecture in his like portfolio or whatever, I'm like, okay, I will I will look at this portfolio no matter what it is, just because it's so important. Um, and then obviously learning the editor one or two, it's important uh, just to learn the basic because like I said, all editor comes down to pretty much the same thing in the end. Um, so that's three things right there. And then I would add uh, to try stuff, basically. Try stuff. Um, you have to try things. You have to make maps and make maps and make maps and fail and try other things. And 
understand why you failed. You need to, when you make stuff, when you work on your portfolio or your personal things, you have to, you know, ask people feedback and make people play them because that's how it is in the industry. You know, there's no designer who work on a map and then that's it, you know, and then he ships yeah. it. Um, yeah. And another really important thing is never, ever fall in love with your design. Uh, you will 99.9% .9 of the time trash that thing to death and then restart over. It's <laughs> how it is. Uh, there's no designer, absolutely no one. And if a designer will say the opposite, uh, I will say that he's a complete bullshit guy. Uh, there's no designer who can design a perfect thing from the ground up. It's impossible. Uh, okay. It's an iterative process. You have to, you come Fail up with repeat. an idea, you create it, then you implement it, then you discover that your idea was uh, not exactly how you could implement it. So you implement a different way and then you test it and then you realize that, oh yeah, this could be better. So you tweak that thing and then the whole part there is complete shit because whatever, you didn't tell about that. So you trash that thing, you restart over, you do another thing, you test again. Um, so it's, 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 that's the thing I didn't know, you know, because when I was making map back when I was young, uh, I was making it at w in one go. And after that, I was just, you know, giving that to my friend. Uh, that's not how it is. You make okay. a thing and then you trash out of it and then you restart and then you make another thing and then you take the good thing then you trash the rest and then you restart and then you iterate and then you test and then you, you know, um, this is really important. And the last thing I would say is, and it, it comes to everyone who want to work in the industry and has to make a portfolio and not, a, not even designer, like literally everyone put the thing that are good. Don't put like, just, just don't put all your work. Um, it's useless. Uh, and you know, it's important to take a step back and look at your stuff and say, is it good? Like, is it shippable? Would I love as a person to play in that level? Would I love to play that game? Is it, is it, is it good enough? Does it look good? Like if I would play a game and there would be that prop that I made, would I be like, wow, that's a really amazing create, like a crate or a barrel, you know, or it's like, yeah, it looks like shit, you know, if, if, if you have a doubt, if you have a doubt on anything, uh, well, there's a lot of other people who have doubts about that. And it's probably not good enough. So, yeah. um, so quality over quantity. Yes. Oh my God. Yes, please. Uh, it's really important. Um, it's, it's really, really important. I but, think this uh, speaks for every portfolio, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yes. If it's environment artist or weapon artist, I think everything. Yeah, whatever, like animation or anything, it's literally for every single one, writers, music, anything. If you have something on your portfolio that you're like, uh, yeah, I think it would be better if I would have like a fifth thing in my portfolio. So I would take that thing that is okay-ish and I would put it. If it's not, if it's, if, if, if for you it's okay-ish, well, it's garbage, basically. <laughs> yeah, because it's I mean, your it's, opinion, your personal yes, opinion. Like, it has to at least be fucking good for you. And then after that, you post that somewhere. And then, yeah, so that's 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 really important. Uh, so some, yep. 
what what are you doing while or next to next to developing games? Are you you playing games, right? Yes, obviously I play games. Um, I started, you know, working in Unreal not so long ago, but then I stopped because uh, with the crunch and then uh, the shipping of BF5 and stuff, like my my brain is burnt when I get home. So like after working eight hours, I don't want to start working again. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I play board games and stuff because you know board games. That's it's it's a really different. It's 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 games, but it's really different uh, to look at uh, game design wise because the constraints are really different uh, on a board game. And then um, you know I watch people play also. Obviously, you know I watch streamers. You uh, always, you also have a Twitch channel, right? Yes, yes, yes. I stream games. Um, and, you know, I look at people play games because it makes me understand how people react to certain things. Uh, sometimes yeah, pretty, I just pretty watch. Pretty good for you, yeah. I just watch to watch, uh, but there's still that little part of my brain that want to analyze everything. Uh, you know, it's a sad part of working in the industry. I can't really enjoy the games like I was enjoying them when I was young uh, <laughs> because I know... The stuff behind the curtains, you know, and that you're part, always analyzing and stuff. Yes, and, yeah. And I would like when I play something, I'm like, oh, but why? That that thing should be maybe more like this. That would have been better and stuff. And sometimes I really have to force myself to just like, okay, stop it, Jeff. Just just play it, you know. Just just enjoy that thing instead of analyzing stuff. So, um, but I usually play. Like I said, one golden rule for me is to never work on my favorite franchise uh, because that will probably ruin everything. So I'm just saying that I don't like Battlefield, far from that. But uh, I'm an RTS guy, so like I would never work on StarCraft, for example. Okay. Uh, I love this game so much. I love playing this game so much. Um, so like if I would work at Blizzard, I would probably work on WoW because I never really enjoyed WoW. Uh, but you know, I have friends working on WoW, and you have to be a freaking nuts about WoW to work on WoW. So I would never work on WoW basically because I don't really love that game. Uh, but yeah, that's that's what I do basically. I play games, uh, check, read a couple articles there and there, also about level design and everything to see how people you know react to some some things and how they. They, they design their stuff and everything and maybe like take a piece or two and then use that in my own design uh, process at work and stuff. So that's, that's, uh, that's pretty much it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So anything else you want to add? Anything you want uh, to say to the world on, on YouTube? <laughs> the world <laughs> on YouTube. Uh, well, if there's, um, you know, people who want to become level designer, I hope that listening to your thing uh, to this thing uh, there would be some level design you want to work like i said earlier just like keep on trying stuff because level design is a big trial and error it's all cool to read about the things and uh, you know watch a couple of videos and stuff but like in the end it's really up to you to try to figure out what is a good design because fun is a really high level concept of things and what is fun for me may not be fun for you. So like I said at the beginning, everything can work in the right game, 
in the right situation, in the right context. Uh, but you just have to figure out these things by yourself, basically. Why is that thing good in that game and would not be good in the other? And then, you know, keep making maps and maps and make more maps and stuff. Um, I think, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Just just keep on trying. And nice avoid, words. avoid nice speed words. level design. Always avoid that. Okay. <laughs> Holy shit, I hate that thing. Oh my god, you go on YouTube and you have like these speed level design videos. This is the worst bullshit I've seen in my life. These, there's nothing at all realistic. related to level design. It could be speed level art to some extent, speed like environment art or something like that, because yeah. it's, it's, it's always like a guy who, take, who create a really specific vista for one specific camera. There's nothing level design about that. Nothing at all. Nothing, nothing, nothing. It's just so far from the truth of what level design is it it even almost pisses me off when i see that <laughs> <laughs> but yeah uh we need more designers we need more level designers in the industry for sure but um i think i will end that by saying that if you if you want to be a level designer prepare to be uh to work hard because it's really hard nowadays to get a job in level design um it's really hard because there's a lot of people, a ton of people who want to do design stuff, but like you don't need a billion level designer in a company. You need more artists than level designer, basically. Um, so yeah. it's a really, uh, it's a really hard job to get. But uh, don't get discouraged by that and uh, keep on working. If you're good enough, you will get a job for sure. I think these are pretty nice words for the for the end. Mm-hmm. And I think. Thank you so much, Chef, for taking the time. Ah, being, fun, part, being part in the podcast. Yep. <laughs> I could literally talk with you for hours, but I think nobody would listen to us after two hours. Yeah, exactly. That's too, it, it needs to end at some point. But I mean, I don't know. We'll do a part two in a couple of months. Maybe. Yeah. So thank you and bye. Hey, thank you and see you. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Game Out Talk podcast. My guest in this episode is Hugo Juera, who is 40 years old and currently being the VFX supervisor of his own company, Hugo's Desk in London. We will be talking about what young students should focus on to get into the VFX industry and how new hobbies can improve your craft. So without further ado, let's hop right into the talk. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Game Out Talk podcast. My guest today is Hugo Juera. Yep. who is a 40-year-old VFX supervisor and the owner of the company Hugo's Desk. Hello, Hugo. Hello. Hi there, Christopher. So maybe you could introduce yourself. Yeah. Most well, of the people will know you, but <laughs> just tell us a short story of, of your life or your well, of you. I'll try, I'll try to keep it short um, because, I, I, like you said, I think most people already know my past. But um, uh, first of all, thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to do uh, these kind of uh, programs. I really like to do podcasts, really enjoy it. So thank you so much for inviting me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I'm basically, I'm Portuguese. Um, I'm 40, like you said, uh, I am a bit getting old now. <laughs> I've been working <laughs> in the industry for 20 years um, now. Uh, so I started in Portugal, uh, I did an art degree. Back then there weren't, there weren't any visual effects degrees. So I did the fine art uh, masters, that's what I have a five-year master's in painting and video art. And of course, video art doesn't really pay the bills. 
So while I was in university, I started doing corporate films, started doing music videos for local bands, and even worked as a as a local camera operator. You know, uh, I did a lot of camera operator uh, tasks in in around the university. Um, that kind of evolved. I went to Lisbon. Then after my university degree was done, I opened a company there. Didn't really work out very well. Portugal is a very tiny market, so I. I, for a few years, I tried. I did some TV commercials. I did some short films. Didn't really work out in terms of financials. Uh, so I left. Um, sent my showreel to every place I could think of. Um, this was when I was still 20. Um, a lot of companies responded. The, the company that gave me the best uh, deal was a company in Sweden. So I went to Sweden, uh, worked for four years on a company um, um, called Animac uh, AB. They still exist, but they don't really do visual effects anymore. They've shifted gears a bit. Um, I started as a composter. Back then I started as an After Effects composter. That was my, because while I was at university, After Effects and Premiere were my jam. Basically After Effects 3 and uh, Premiere 2 and 3 as well. That was like a really old version of After Effects and Premiere. Um, and I basically went to this company in Sweden, became an After Effects artist. Then it kind of evolved over the four years I was there. I evolved from After Effects to Fusion and then from Fusion to Shake and then Shake to Nuke. I basically just kept sh switching. And eventually I became an art director on that company. And that's when I left really the company. I was art directing projects. We, we did everything. We used to do corporate films, TV commercials. We also sometimes did print. We did a bunch of stuff. I learned a lot while I was there. It was kind of like my training ground because it allowed me to like learn Final Cut and learn Photoshop and learn After Effects and learn Premiere and learn Nuke and Fusion. I just tried everything. I was like 20-something, so I had a very eager mind to learn things. Then I left because uh, as much Sweden is now as... Sweden this moment is a powerhouse of visual effects, but back then it wasn't. Um, so I kind of left. I went to the powerhouse of Europe, which was London. Uh, back then, London was the biggest place. It isn't anymore. Like, there's a lot of places these days. Um, but London was the biggest place. This was like 2008, uh, 11 years ago. Moved to London. Uh, got a few gigs as a VFX supervisor. I already had a lot of experience in Sweden being on set. Um, did a few jobs for the BBC, uh, supervising some children TV shows called Am I High? And then started becoming a freelancer. I worked uh, for a few years at Nexus Productions, doing a lot of CG compositing for commercials. Um, then I moved to The Mill, where I was also a freelancer, did a lot of very advanced compositing for, as a senior compositor at The Mill. Was there for a few years. Then I kind of started becoming a freelancer, so I kind of bounced from The Mill, Jellyfish Pictures, Nexus, just started bouncing from company to company. Eventually, the head of Nuke uh, at the mill, which was a brand new department, the mill did, because the mill was a shake company. Um, the head of Nuke at the mill left the mill, and I was there as a freelancer, and then the company offered me the job, um, and I became the head of the Nuke department together with another artist called Juan Brockhaus. Uh, we were both heads of Nuke. Uh, he was from the 3D background, and I was from 2D background. Stayed at the mill for five years as the head of the Nuke department. The Nuke department became quite big. We had about 40 people at some point. Uh, we did hundreds of productions where I supervised on set and supervised the productions, did the composting, did the conforming, and all sorts of commercials. You know, We did commercials for Call of Duty Ghosts. We did commercials for Howdy. 
Hummingbird, we did commercials for the BBC, we did some for Nike, for Adidas, all the big brands because the mill always attracts like the best brands in the world. Okay. Uh, had a lot of fun there. Uh, the mill is a really great place to work. Met a lot of amazing artists there. But it was my time to leave, you know, because um was a huge gamer, so I kind of really wanted to, like, uh, put my foot more into the video games industry. We did a few trailers for games while I was at the mill, um, but it wasn't enough for me. So I kind of left uh, and became a director, really, like, started to try to pitch for work and started doing my own jobs. That's where Smoke comes along and started, like, working with them as a director, doing cinematics, doing trailers, doing all sorts of things. Uh, for a lot of AAA games, as you can see on my website. Um, and now these days, I'm, I'm still working f with them as a director, but I also have my, my Yugo's Desk channel, which is uh, taking more and more of my time with a lot of different things. I have courses that I do on Yugo's Desk. I, I have my, my channel. I have my Patreon as well. So the Yugo's Desk branding is, brand is growing and growing. Um, but you guys can go into my website and check more of my stuff. Like it, All my work is there. It's hugoafenguerra.com. Uh, unfortunately, I do not have the hugoguerra.com domain. That is from someone older than me. It's a guy in Chile. He's, um, he's actually a hairdresser. He has hugoguerra.com. <laughs> <laughs> so I couldn't get my own domain. Um, but yeah, so if you go to hugoafenguerra.com, you can see all my work and you can see all my latest yeah. stuff. It's always there. Yeah. I will put this in the info box as well, so should be no worries. So you started out back in the 90s. So how was the university back then? You said there was not a real BFX industry. No, so no. <laughs> you no, started out as a, as a traditional artist, right? Yes, yes. So I, I did a five-year uh, degree master's in arts. So, you know, I learned how to paint, how to draw. I was already doing that in, in secondary school as well. Um, okay. I always did hard arts there. I've always had a, uh, I always, always drawing, doing comic books, doing a lot of those things. So we, I ended up, uh, um, learning how to paint, how to sculpt out. And we also had a brand new discipline called video art because computers were just starting to appear in Portugal. Uh, we were using very old computers. We were using Macintosh G3s, uh, and Macintosh G4s as well. Um, using Matrox video cards and basically developing, uh, um, you know, video art using mini DV cameras, really, all in standard definition, really. Um, so that's how oh. I kind of like started. Uh, there wasn't any visual effects training back then. Uh, you couldn't really go to YouTube; that didn't exist. There were no schools like Scape Studios or FX PhD that didn't that didn't exist either. So I had to learn myself. You know, I learned After Effects by myself. I learned Premiere by myself. You know, by reading the manual which are really big books, like they're huge, reading the manual and just trying trial and error, really. <laughs> There's no other way because yeah. you didn't have YouTube to go and check or you didn't have Google to check if it was correct or check not. Check for feedback. Know. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, or yeah, even I got to you. check like, oh, what does this do? You, you didn't really have Google. Back then I had Alta Vista and internet was very expensive and it was not easy for you to just go into the net and search these things, you know. Okay. Yeah. So you create trailer f trailers for games. So what does this trailers make special? You only have like three minutes time to get the players or the, the buyer's attention, as, as better said, to, to advertise the game, to make the game look new, super new, 
super good, super fresh, super clean. So how do you deal with this three minutes? Well, we, we sometimes we have less than three minutes, though. Like sometimes yeah. we have a minute, sometimes we have yeah. some teasers. Uh, it, yeah. it really, uh, that's why I've, I've left the mill because of this, because I really wanted to be part of working more into the creative side. Because at the mill, of course, we were at the end. You know, the directors were already with everything ready, yeah. and then we would just do the visual effects. So by being a director of these things, I can work with the games company very early on and develop concepts, develop scripts, develop storyboards, and develop a story that would uh, tell what the game is. Usually it always starts with some kind of pitch. We usually do a pitch, either presentation in Keynote or a PDF or a video. We kind of mm -hmm. give them the idea because we, we, we do a lot of video. We, we play a lot of games, so we always know what yeah. these games are. So we always have a lot of good references, both for, from films and from games. So we present what we feel like the game is. Um, then they say yes or no. Then we work with the developers. They show us the game. We usually get the games very early on. We get the, the, the alpha builds of the game. We try the game out. The game usually is not finished already. And we kind of feel f the, the feeling of the game and then develop a script that would work. It's always a very collaborative effort, you know, working with the developers, working with the director of the game, working with the marketing department of, yeah. of the AAA yeah. industry. Um, so that's kind of how it operates. And then once everyone is approved and everyone likes the idea, we start production. And then when, when we start production, then it becomes just like what we did at the mill. It just becomes a normal production where we, we have the normal stuff, CG, you know, rendering, lighting, modeling. Standard pipeline. Standard yeah. pipeline. Uh, but I just wanted to really be in this beginning because that's what I used to do when I was in school. You know, when I was at university, I was doing video art. I was doing short films. And kind of, I kind of missed being part of the creative process in the beginning, so that's kind of kind of how it really worked. But it's a it's a good question what you asked because it is tricky for you to explain the game, and and I'm not mentioning any names, but sometimes the game is not as good, or as, you know, sometimes the game is not very good, so it's tricky for you to do a compelling trailer that works. Sometimes the game is very good and then it's also tricky because there's a lot of competition or there's a lot of hype around the game. So it's a tricky thing, definitely. There's a lot of competition out there, a lot of really good companies making really good trailers as well. Yeah. Okay. So how do you see the supply for VFX in the games industry as, as a general? Would you say that it is, it is increasing or decreasing? How is it, how is it developing over the years? Well. Inside the games industry, visual effects yeah. is called is something else. So they, they call visual effects what we in the visual effects industry call Houdini particles and and smoke and fire. That's what they called VFX. So whenever mm -hmm. you you work with the games industry and you see the credits of a game, you see VFX artists. That's what it means. It means people that do uh, basically particle work. And so I can't really use the same uh, naming as I usually work with visual effects. But for me, I, I think the it's not growing or, get, or decreasing. The demand for trailers and in-game cinematics has always existed. Um, and sometimes we do the trailers for a marketing purpose, you know, if you're trying to promote the game to sell it. And this means it's basically doing a commercial or doing a CG film to have either on YouTube or on a TV channel. And on that yeah. situation, it's just like any other commercial of any other brand. You know, you're, you're basically making a branded film about the game. 
On the other hand, I've also done a lot of in-game cinematics, and that's a bit different. That's when you work with the uh, game engine, uh, you work with the game engine, or you render pre, you pre-render parts of the game engine, or sometimes you even do full CG for the in-game cinematics. In that way, you work together with the developers and actually create the story or create the story with them. You know, sometimes we write the story, sometimes, give an example on Homefront, for example, we, both me and, and our team at Fire.Smoke, we created all the lore of the, uh, we, all the lore of the intro, we created a lot of the lore inside the game, we created a lot of uh, documentation for the game, we created websites for the game, we created trailers in, in-house, uh, in, in-game in cinematics as well. So sometimes it's a full package of things. Um, in terms of visual effects, I think there's a big demand because you can probably notice that there's more and more live-action trailers happening yeah. both inside the game or outside the game. You also have a, a huge increase of full CG in-game cinematics and full CG trailers as well outside the game. Uh, so a standard visual effects pipeline is very used on that sense because as soon as you do a live-action trailer or do a CG trailer, you're back into a standard visual effects pipeline. You know, you're basically using yeah. uh, Maya, Houdini, using Ren, Rev, Redshift or Arnold, or you just go back to that. But lately, I've also been using a lot of game engines. You know, uh, a lot of the games uh, these days, especially when I work with Ubisoft or I work with Square Enix, they have their own proprietary engine, you know. And a lot of times we do use their engine to output uh, renders because their engine has settings, you know. So you can you can still render to an EXR the result of an engine. So imagine you prepare all your engine and basically you output an EXR and you can even output AOVs and multiple passes from the game's engine. Mo- most of the engines do that, even the proprietary ones from Ubisoft and Square Enix and, and Sony, which is the proprietary ones we use. If it's Unreal, then it's even easier because that's even easier to to find. So we kind of use the engine as a regular renderer. You know, we just render it in 4K. We render with all the settings in full, and then we render all the AOVs and then try to comp it again. Um, that happens a lot. So we can polish up the the trailer, and it's still faithful to the game because it's still the same game engine. Um, or sometimes we use assets from the game. Sometimes we import the actual assets in rigs from the game into Maya so we can develop a visual effects pipeline. So I think it's very connected, you know, it is, because a lot of the a lot of the skill set is the same. You know, modeling is the same and rendering is the same and finishing is the same. Even from a compositing point of view, it's also the same. Because in compositing you're basically finishing the shot with a nice look and flares and light wrapping and a nice matte painting on the background. In a games engine, you also do all those things, but you just do them live. You know, you, you can tweak the grain, you can tweak the lens flare. All those things are kind of sliders live. And there's also a huge work done on the camera animation because you have to put your camera angles, you have to do cinematic angles, you have to introduce some realism into the camera with a nice lens. So I, I really think they are very connected. Visual effects in games, can you, you can easily jump from one to the other, I believe, you know. Okay. Okay, so you work at home, right? Uh, yes, the last th- for the last three years I do. Um, I have a, an office in my house, so it's not really just like a bedroom. It's like an actual office where I have I have multiple computers. I have six computers on this office, um, you know, because I have a small render farm, um, and I have, of course, um, all the capabilities 
that you normally have in a grading suite. You know, I have like a vector scope, I have professional grading monitors, I have a color surface. I, I kind of replicated basically what I used to have at the mill on a suite. I replicated on my house. The reason I'm working from home is really because my team on my company is mostly in different countries, you know. Um, I have people working all over the world. I have a composter called Bjorn. He lives in Iceland. Um, that's where he lives and has been working with me for okay. two years. Uh, I also have a 3D artist that works a lot with me called Martin Mayer. He lives in Austria. Um, I also have a Portuguese composter called Ricardo. He, he works from Portugal, uh, from Porto. Um, often I have a Swedish composter helping me out called Joachim. He lives in uh, he lives in Stockholm. Uh, sorry, he lives north, not in Stockholm anymore. He lives north of Sweden. Sometimes I have animators that work from Germany as well. I also have Wen Brockhaus that works in, from Germany for me as well. Also have people here in London as well that work from their own offices. Sometimes these people have their own offices. Like for example, one of my matte painters works in New Zealand. He has his own office. He doesn't work from home. He has an office for himself, but okay. he's working for remote clients. You know, so it's a it's a collection of people that either are working from their homes or working from a, a, a off location like an office. Uh, but that's yeah. kind of the develop. That's the pipeline that I've developed um, ever since I left the mill. I, after working for ten years inside companies, you know, and having to be there from nine to five. I really became very tired of that because um, it's it's very tiring because sometimes there's not a lot of work around or sometimes there's too much work to do. And I really don't operate very well with a nine to five uh, clock, you know, because sometimes yeah. you're, not, you're not as creative as you are at nine o'clock, but maybe you are at one or maybe you're at five o'clock. So I got used to now working when I want to or when I need to, depending on the deadlines I have. And I know it's a luxury, but it's just like for me, it makes sense for you to work when you when you need, you know. You're more and efficient, right? Exactly, because yeah. sometimes I might stay three or four days doing really hard hours and then maybe I can spend the whole week without doing anything, you know. So I, I think it's much better for my health and it's much better for my time management as well and also to deal with my family and, and, and also like to deal with... Uh, with uh, having free time as well and that's why i did that and and i spent a long time creating a very robust pipeline to be able to do this you know so the pipeline i have currently completely custom made in python is a pipeline that operates between nuke maya and udini and anyone anywhere around the world as long as i give them a login and a password they can boot up my system and they they can be part of our pipeline that means they have the same software the same plugins they have the same paths like everything is is mapped you know so if if an artist opens a shot in new zealand they open up the shot in their computer and the python the python pipeline automatically maps everything for him it's basically idiot proof at this time uh, pre-configured you know, so, right exactly yeah. it's all pre-configured so you just log in and the shot is there and as soon as you save the shot is for everyone. Like it's all synced automatically. Um, the only thing that I request of my artists and the team that works with me is really for them to have a fast internet. That's the only thing. And so when people usually work with me, uh, they tend to have to upgrade their internet to the maximum they can find. That's usually the, that's usually the case. Um, that's, yeah. Yeah. But that's. I not, got you. Yeah. That's kind of how I've been operating. And it's been very nice to work from home and to work on my own time. And, and I think that I've reached the phase in my life, I'm 40 now, 
I just don't really feel like going to the office. But I do need to say to anyone that is starting on the on their careers now that they should not start working from home like I have done. They should start on a company first. The only reason I'm working from home now is because I have 20 years experience. That's it. Yeah. yeah. You can afford this to do this. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I have the experience to be able to manage and supervise the project. And all the people that work with me also have 20 years of experience. You know, all these people have worked for years. Some of them at MPC, at Framestore, at DNEG. They are very experienced people. So they are reliable. They are professional. And they are people that know what they're doing. And that's why it works so well remotely. Uh, you do not want to hire new people for this kind of environment because new people that are very young, never been on a company, will not fit well. And I really advise everyone in their life, on their career, at least once try to work on a very big facility. It's, it's the biggest advice I give to everyone. The fact that you would go and work at least for a year or two at Framestore or DNEG or ILM or The Mill any of these big places, it will give you a level of quality, professionalism, and the, just the learning, the, the, the teachings you'll learn by being there, talking with these artists, will increase your quality tenfold. You know, Everything you learn on university will just become irrelevant because you will learn so much inside these companies. So I, yeah. I would always advise everyone to at least try to do that, just like I did. You know. My dream when I was very young was always to work at the mill, and I've done that. I was there for five years, and it's time for me to move on, you know. But I, it's it's important for you to try to do that. Otherwise, you will not be a good remote artist or a good artist in the long run because you need to know the pipeline in and out for you to be able to create one, you know. So I'm would sorry. you say I, that I talk too much? I'm sorry about that. No, it's it's completely okay. This that's, that's what the podcast is for, man. <laughs> would you say that going to university is a big advantage, or would you say that staying at home for two years and being on your own and just grinding in with tutorials and workshops is the better way to go in the industry? Uh, I, I know this is controversial. A lot of people think that the university is not uh, needed and that people just should just do some FX PhD and go for it. Uh, I am really against that. I am against that maybe because I'm older and because I have a background in arts. One of my biggest problems when I deal with artists, even when I was at the mill, because because I was the head of Nuke, so I would I would hire people, you know? Uh, yeah. I feel like a lot of artists, even senior artists, have a huge lack of knowledge in regular, like basic, basic stuff. Like even people that are, that are seniors, you know, people that are, oh, shit, this guy is like the, the biggest compositor in the world. I've met people like this that do not know their lenses. They do not know photography. They don't know color theory. They don't know composition. These basic things need to be learned on a theory-based academical place like an university or school. I really believe that. It's incredibly important for you to know photography, for you to know composition, for you to know color. You need to know these things if you're going to be a successful artist. There's no way around it. And no matter, and that's one of the biggest problems I see. I see a lot of artists just becoming very skilled artists, technical artists but they don't really know the real theory behind things. And then there's a shortcoming because then when they're really facing a project, I see this all the time in commercials, for example, as soon as you get someone in that doesn't have that kind of background, they stumble because they are not a, a, a able to create something pretty or beautiful 
they have to be told what to do, you know. And of course, that's the position of the supervisors. The supervisors are always there to help and the creative directors of the project and the directors. But it would be so much more uh, beneficial for everyone if you already know uh, you know, basics in photography and basics in color science. It's funny that you're saying this. Like, um, I just noticed like I, I have a connection, a big connection with DNEG. I know a lot of people there. And DNEG for a few years now has... Uh, uh, their own academy inside the company, you know. Um, okay. And the reason they did this is because they, they really believed that the schools were not giving enough to the students, you know. So they've developed okay. their own students. They basically, all the, the juniors and all the... And DNEG is not the only one. Most big companies these days have their own academy. MPC has it as well, ILM as well. Uh, even the mill has that. So, um, and the the reason for that is really because they want to teach more stuff. And and even a few days ago, I saw a, a post on LinkedIn where DNEG was basically teaching the composter department the basics of what bokeh is, you know, bokeh defocus. Basically, when you have defocusing and you have the shape of the blades of the lens on the defocusing. Mm -hmm. And they brought so in the a real photographer. Basics. Yeah, they, they brought in the a photographer. And the photographer actually developed a real size bouquet example they ha he had like a flashlight he had a little hole on a cardboard with a shape and then he was basically <laughs> representing what a light and a lens does you know physically and this is so important these kind of concepts these are the typical things you learn on university you know if you go to university you learn these academical things and I've met a lot of artists that don't want to care about those things. They just want to know where to press the button. And it's so much more than pressing the button, you know. That's that's why I think people should go to university because I am not a good visual effects artist because I know Nuke well. It's not because of that. Because I've worked for 20 years. I've worked in After Effects, Fusion, Shake, Nuke, and I'm sure that in a few years... There will be, I don't know, Fandango 2000, the new application. You know, something else will show up. And yeah. all my artistry can be moved from software to software because I know the basic concepts of light, the basic concepts of gamma, of f-stops, of multiplication, all these concepts yeah. that are stable on every, you know, alpha channel, all these things that are complete basic stuff. And that's what allows you to jump from application to application. That's what allows you to become a really good artist. Um, so, yeah, I, I really am against people trying to just learn by themselves. And it's very difficult for you to learn by yourself the academic stuff because there's so much out there. How do you even start? You know, you kind of have to be curated. That's why you should go to university because you get curated to what books you should read. You get curated to what you should actually learn because there would be teachers there teaching you that, you know. Um, I, th I think an university degree on, on the visual effects industry is, is very important, yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. So would you, would you have any advice for ongoing artists who want to make it in the VFX industry? So I, there's a lot of things I would say, um, but I think um, if they haven't had the, uh, the time or the money or the, you know, to go to university, at least then start to learn other things that could help you on your industry, you know. As easy as you can maybe sign up for a workshop in photography or you can sign up for an online course in photography or maybe an online course about color theory or even lighting or basically 
try to learn extra things that would help you as a composter or as a lighting artist or as a modeler, you know. For example, I've met a lot of modeling artists that became even better modeling artists after doing workshops in sculpting, you know, because mm -hmm. they became better at sculpting in clay and then they became better at ZBrush because of that. I've met a lot of illustrators that and matte painters that became a lot better after doing a lot of live drawing, you know, nude drawing or live drawing of subjects. And there's a lot of places in the cities usually that you can sign up for these kind of workshops, you know. I've also met a lot of really talented compositors that became so much better after doing a photography course. Even if it's a standard photography course, like a wedding course or a fashion course, it doesn't really matter, but anything that allows you to learn how the camera operates and the f-stops operate and the shutter speed operates. So I really would advise all of you to just learn an extra trade to complement what you're trying to learn. So if you're a rendering artist, if you're a lighting artist, you should really go and learn photography. If you're a composter, the same. Uh, or composition or color theory. If you are a colorist, you should definitely go and learn color theory like from basic like basic books and everything. And, or even learn some cinematography as well. And if you are a, a, a ZBrush artist, you should know sculptor. The, all these things are really, really important, I think. So... So you would say that those activities or those hobbies are making you a more complete artist to deal with uh, with more more uh, harder stuff. Yeah. yeah. That's what I would call it. They do, yeah. They do because it allows you to think out of the box. And, and not only that, it gives you the basic knowledge to solve some problems that you might be stuck. Uh, it also allows you to do another thing. Having those hobbies or those extra uh, things allows you to leave visual effects for a moment. It's so important for you to leave because a lot of people are so, so busy. They're just working and working and working and working. And then they never develop themselves. They never try to learn new things. And they, they can kind of stagnate very easily in the industry, you know. It's important for you to to free your mind by not thinking about visual effects for a few hours a day or a week, you know? And if you have a workshop like that, for example, if you go to live drawing, then it's like a few hours a week that you are not thinking about your comp. You're thinking about drawing that subject. So it's another artistic thing that you're doing, but it's not related to your job. It's important for you to do other artistic stuff. I've even met people that, you know, became very good musicians and that uh, opened the door for them to become even better editors, you know, because it's so relevant. Music and editing is so relevant. So there's a lot of complementary um, uh, skills that you can really learn, you know. So talking about skills, do you have any modeling skills or any texturing skills? What are you, how is your pipeline completely working, you know? Uh, <clears throat> Well, I I do not um, I do not uh, have uh, modeling skills in terms of I do not do modeling no. Um, okay. I'm most more much more linked because of my 2D background. I'm much more linked with lighting really. Um, so I'm not very. Uh, when I need something modeled, I basically hire a very skilled modeler to do it. Um, that's how it works. But but my pipeline includes everything. Yes, I usually have artists that do all those tasks from ZBrush to modeling to anything. So. Okay, so you're kind of the connection between all those those skills. It is because 
I usually operate on my productions. I either operate as a director if I'm having completely creative control, or if I don't have complete creative control, uh, I'm operating as a VFX supervisor. And a VFX supervisor usually supervise everything and basically make sure everything is according to the vision on the script that we were trying to achieve. And um, so that's usually what I try to do. Um, of course, I also try very uh, hard to still be on the box and still work a lot. So I still comp my own shots. I still do all most of my compositing, all my grading. And that's also been something that I started to miss while I was at the mill. Um, when I became the head of the Nuke department and then a VFX supervisor at the mill, I started having half of my time in meetings and management. And the other half yeah. was artists, you know to a point that I would spend the whole day having meetings and then I would have to stay late to just keep up with the work I had to do, you know. I really miss that and I because I'm in essence I'm an artist, you know. So I I want to do work. So that's why even to this day if I'm directing something I'm still comping it and I'm still finishing the shots and I'm still grading them even though I'm 40 and I'm and I've been doing it for a long time. Um I just feel like I have to and it's so much easier for me to finish the shots than trying to explain someone else how to finish them, you know? Okay. So how, how is it today when are you, are you having lots of conferences and all those stuff talking to people or are you more art, art artist now? These so, days I'm more artist. Yes. Um, I think I, I, I talk a lot less. Yes. We, we, <laughs> I am on, I have a, the luxury to be able to kind of choose the jobs I do right now. Uh, so I don't I don't take every job, you know. I usually only do one job at a time, uh, because there's a lot of other things I do. You know, when I introduced myself, I didn't explain that I also have kind of a second life on teaching. You know, I do a lot of teaching. I go to universities to do lectures. I do a lot of events. You know, I go and talk at events like FMX and View Conference and Visual Effects Festival. And I always, IBC, I always travel the world doing a lot of talks for different uh, companies. Um, and so I do a lot of academical work and a lot of teaching. And also I have a, a YouTube channel that, that has a lot of videos called Hugo's Desk. So it's for me, it's important to balance things because... The academical side of my work is very merged and linked with my real work because it's all connected, you know. Every time I do a trailer, that's the material I use on my YouTube channel, you know. And so it's all connected. And also being able to, because I have to teach and because I go to universities and because I do lectures, uh, I have to be on the top of my game. I have to always be on top of these applications, always learning the latest techniques and always learning everything. So by by being a teacher half of my time, allows me to be a better artist because I'm always learning all the time. I never st uh, stop learning. And that's one of the problems that sometimes you have if you work only on the jobs, you know, only on the projects. So so when you're on tour, are you working on, on artistic stuff or are you are you kind of linking out or just, no, I, just I being do. on tour and... You do? I, I do, okay. I do. Sometimes I take the work with me. Sometimes I, re I use remote to, to continue. Of course, I continue having dailies with my artists. Um, I have a good pipeline, so sometimes I can have people that can uh, do the work uh, for me while I'm out, you know, and then I can uh, pick it up because we, we have a very similar pipeline between our, all of us, so we can actually open all of our jobs and projects uh, between our, ourselves. 
So um, I try to avoid it. You know, when I go out and do tech lectures or talks, usually it's like a few days or a week, one week or so. So then it doesn't really make a big difference on the project because usually I scheduled it around my deadlines, you know, so I don't usually, if I'm delivering something, I, might, I, I probably won't go to the event if I'm delivering something, you know. Okay. Okay. So I think we are done, Hugo. Cool. So I thank you so, so much for being in my podcast, no for giving me this huge insight of your career, of your workflow, of your thoughts, of the industry and of, of artists. And yeah, thank you so much. No problem. It was a pleasure talking to you. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. And maybe one day we can reverse the, the, the thing and you can maybe talk on my uh, YouTube channel as well. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Thank you. Nice. Bye. Okay. Thank you.